Fire Tribe, where you at? I hope you're ready, rising from the ashes and it's getting heavy Conspiracies, we got plenty and some are scary From aliens to Bigfoot, extraordinary, yeah, yeah Danunaki Dan and the homie Romy I was bugging out, all the crazy things he showed me Jesus bloodlines to the stars in the skies Always a good time, vibing with the fire tribe Hey, So wake up, wake up, get it cracking Rise out the ashes, I know you got a passion Kick off the combo with theories, many conspiracies Other dimensions, plenty ancient history Fire tribe, where you at? Wake up we about to get into it I know you can't get enough At home, at work It don't matter, turn it up Rising from the ashes You know what's up, ayy uh, Rising from the ashes Yo What's happening? Hey. Welcome to Rising From the ashes I'm Danny Naki Dan I am the Romeo homie <laughs> He's I the Romeo homie I'm the Romeo homie Gremlin man <laughs> Gremlin boy. What's good in the hood, homie? Slapping wine bags. Slapping bags, man. Slapping bags of wine. Slap the bag. Slap the bag. You ever, you know, slap the bag? No, but the bag doesn't like being called a bag. I'm sure it prefers another word. Soft pouch. Uh, Yeah. <laughs> wine, wine, vino vessel. Smack that soft pouch, vino vessel. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's. Hey. I'm not. I'm not slapping the bag. By the way, I'm. I'm I would never do that. I, you know what vino sure. loves? Calendula. Vino loves that Pinot Grigio, man. Oh, snaps! Absolutely, yeah. Vino loves a Pinot. <laughs> uh, we're stupid as fuck what's going yeah, on man? please don't listen to us what's uh uh God, just man. working working man just definitely fully alive in the uh and the geo i'm just you know i'm awake to the geoengineering shit like yesterday was at the uh park with my dog and a few friends sorry a couple friends and uh, we looked up in the sky and we just saw three of these planes, tiny planes, and I mean, half mile distance from each other, kind of three of them just all kind of going in the same direction, almost making like a triangle, right? And like leaving like the, the classic kind of trails behind them. And then um, that was in the evening time, right before dark, so probably about seven o'clock, and then proceeded to see more planes as we drive home. But the funny thing about it is, you wake up this morning, and the it's just completely cloudy and covered. The sky is covered. It's blue now, um, but the rain is coming on Monday, right? That's what they tell us. So I'm just, oh, you yeah. know, it, it, it's I, I don't know, I don't know. I'm just like. I feel like the weather's being controlled, but I don't know. It's probably not. You feel like it? It's probably not. Oh, I, dude, it definitely is. Convoluted emotions over here. Everything's fucking being controlled. You know, I feel like it wasn't at, and but now it is. Like there, you know, like we 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 were paranoid at one point, but we've paranoid ourselves into the point of position to where everything is just being controlled and monitored. It's like, fuck, did we manifest this yeah. on ourselves? 
It's a possibility, which is exactly why I don't even like talking about the, the C-19 because I, you know, because I feel like talking about it just manifests it even more. So I, I agree wholeheartedly. So, uh, whole Paul, whole Paul, whole Paul blartedly. Paul, Paul blartedly. Yeah. (laughs) That's fucking hard to say. You guys try to say that shit. It's hard, man. I feel that. Blartedly. my, I feel whole plot blardedly about that. <laughs> uh, we've been jibber jabbing for four minutes now. Tell them what's good. Man. I know. Tell them what's good. Well, today on the show, we have Yake Hagstrom. Hot Yake. Some more hot Yake. Saga stuff, sort of, kind of. Uh, Roman shows up for a few minutes and then disappears. Whoop. Irish goodbye. Swedish goodbye. Sorry. Good old Irish goodbye. And then, uh, so it's pretty much just me and Yake shooting the shit. We talk about Freemasonry and its uh, origins in Sweden. And we talk about uh, the French Revolution and possibly uh, Freemasons coming to America and who their adversaries were. Um, so get ready for that talk. That's uh, going to be pretty interesting. And then actually we have a uh, Josh Monday and possibly his brother from Christian and conspiracy podcast coming on, I think next month to even talk about this situation in more detail from the America perspective. So that's going to be pretty exciting. Uh, we got a lot of fun stuff in the works. We're still trying to do, to a week of shows uh, for the rest of the this month and next month, maybe into November and December. We'll see how that goes. Uh, if we can book them, we'll put the shows out. Uh, if you book it like today, one pod. Yeah, I was trying to think of a, a Field of Dreams uh, thing right there, but it didn't come to me. So, But you did it. Thank you. Thank you, Roman. I'm your better Thank half. You. Yeah, aw. I'm your buttered half. Buttered. Oh, you really so. buttered my bread. Oh, Briochian. So we got some good stuff coming. Good stuff on the way. Uh, you know, we out here trying to make shit happen and get things to work out. Uh, we got some website shit going on. Um, I'm probably going to get some green 85 from Tim James really soon. Uh, so I can start that business. Um, and then what else we got going on, homie? Uh, Oh, October is coming up. So we're going to try to keep it really, really spooky in October. Try to get in some paranormal stuff, UFO, Sasquatch, Dogman. Uh, we got the bump podcast coming on. Uh, we got, uh, Navier is coming back to give us some Hawaiian ghost stories and talk about Menahuni and Lemuria. Menahune. More. Menahune, sorry. And, uh, so. Howdy. Uh, October's looking fan fucking fantastic. Also, I'm turning 30 in October 25th. So. It's uh, birthday. Are we going to do a special birthday episode? Oh, 
dude. Oh fuck, I didn't even thought about it. Fuck. What, oh shit. Fuck. Well, we didn't do one for you, so maybe next year. Let, let's, you uh, know. Well, let's, we kind of did. I did a. Uh, wait, we did. We, we did, did. Pro America on my birthday. Oh, damn. Yeah, I don't know. We would yeah. have to get. Um. Yeah. No, I don't know. Uh, it's all good. Maybe I'll throw uh, but... you a big old surprise podcast birthday party. Oh. <laughs> Maybe not. I'm not good at that shit. Sorry. Well, you you did say you will have off near that time. I uh, I do plan on going to Portland for a show. Hopefully that works out. Oh uh, yeah. So what's going um, on? In so there? yeah. Oh. 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 You don't you don't want to start that yet? You got something else to say? Say it, dog. Speak your mind. F F F R F <laughs> and good morning um interesting fact healers in the middle ages carried marigold as a talisman to protect them from the plague it was also considered highly effective for allying gossip or allying gossip which means basically putting at bay which is kind of funny it's like hmm, carry around marigold and people won't talk shit around you sounds great Love that. Mm. Yeah. So my mother really wants me to uh, do a deep dive into calendula. And I've known about calendula for a long time. Calendula is one of the most common herbs you will find in most topical salves. Um, It grows damn near everywhere. It's beautiful, lovely to look at. You can eat the leaves in salad. You can eat the flowers. You can brew the flowers as a tea. You can use it as a poultice. You can use it as a topical. Um, It's an incredible antimicrobial, antibacterial, anti-inflammatory. And it goes back, brother. It has some history. So when my mom said, hey, I would love you to do a deep dive into calendula as an herb on the show, because my mother is a beautiful woman that is I'm so grateful to have. And she listens to all of our episodes in like 30 minute pieces, you know, while she's driving, um, which makes me happy. Um, we could just do the show just for her and I, I, my soul would be satisfied. Um, so this one's for you, Ma. This one's for you. Um, Calendula. Um, I'm going to give you guys just a lot of, some, a lot of history. We're going to go into the history and folklore of it. And then we're going to go into a Western breakdown. Um, we'll go, no, we'll go Eastern breakdown, Ayurvedic, and then we'll go Western. And then we'll just end it on the list of medicinal properties because calendula is, um, in every damn near every culture, it has a role and it plays in symbolism behind the culture because it's just been around for so long. Um, so I was studying the book. Uh, well, it's it's more of like the Victorian, um, uh, like the Victorian ages of flower discovery, or like the floor. It's called floriography, the language of flowers, and it dates back to the Victorian times. Uh, Floriography was used as a means of coded communication through various flowers and floral arrangements, allowing people to express feelings which otherwise could not be spoken. 
And I was reading that a while ago, trying to, you know, fi- like look up symbolism behind flowers, but it's, it's French, you know, it's the, the Victorian uh, symbolism. And so then I started looking into the Eastern stuff and, and all that. And like I said, it, it's, it's huge. So in India, calendula is among the most sacred of flowers. And this setting it represents thankfulness and excellence and serenity. To this day, you can find marigolds adoring holy statues and like a living necklace celebrating nature in all her glory. Lakshmi, the goddess of wealth, and Vishnu, her husband, the preserver of the universe. There are two deities that receive these garlands. If you are working with Hindu philosophy, the calendula is an excellent flower spirit to consult for insight. You can use marigolds in spells and rituals for prosperity. On a similar note, Christians often brought flowers to statues of the Virgin Mary. Thus, we have the name Mary's Gold. This practice aligns calendula with the goddess whose love sheltering blossom with the sunrise. It's not surprising to learn that marigolds were common in love charms and often appeared with wedding decorations because of this association. Um, that's just some, you know, a little Eastern, a little Western. You know, I like to mix the two. I like to mix the yeah, yeah. two. Um, and sense. then we're going to go into some, uh, some, some good folklore history. This is from the uh, materiaaromatica.com. A member of the daisy family, calendula is one of the oldest plants known to herbal medicine. Its exact origins are lost in the midst of time, but it's thought to have been used in ancient Greece, Egypt, India, and the Arabic empires. Uses include as a fabric dye and for culinary, cosmetic, and medicinal purposes. By the Middle Ages, it was popular in Europe when the flower of marigold was dedicated to the Virgin Mary. At this time, the petals were commonly used for flavoring soups and stews, hence one of its common names, pot marigold. Early New World colonists are known to have made use of this special herb, adding it to cooking as an immune booster. Doctors in the American Civil War, which raged for several years in the 1860s, carried dried calendula petals in their pockets to staunch bleeding and promote the healing when treating war wounds. History has imbued calendula flowers with a wealth of attributes, including as an antidote to poisoning, an eyesight restorative, and a general healer of wounds, bed sores, ulcers. Calendula was thought to have magical powers and was used in love potions, as well as strewn under beds to protect householders from being robbed in the night. Upset lovers apparently once wore calendula garlands as an emblem of jealousy. By far my favorite tale is that once upon a time a beautiful golden-haired child, Mary Gold, sat watching the sun every day, and one day she disappeared, and in her place grew a small sun-like flower. Her friends believed that she had turned into the flower, which they named after their young friend. The great herbalist Nicholas Culpepper, writing in the mid-1600s, described calendula as an herb of the sun, proclaiming that the shape and flowers are linked to the astrological sign of Leo. Around a century earlier, Gerard had recommended distilled marigold flowers and leaves for red and watery eyes. Viewers are tuning out. Are they? Was that bad? (laughs) Yeah. 
Sorry, guys. I I tried to stick to that one that one narration voice, and I just I realized that it sounded like uh, Winston was... Churchill or some shit. <laughs> hey, hey, that's that's not bad actually. Thank you. Um, <laughs> that's pretty good, uh, okay. historically speaking. Uh, I mean, it's not me. historically. I mean, whatever. Go ahead, Oh, oh, he wants to hear more. Oh, you want to hear more about this freaking sweet plant that has way more history than you do in your entire freaking thumbnail, bud. Hey, that's the thing people say. <laughs> uh, okay, so um, I'm going to go into one more blurb, uh, and then we'll uh, dive into some Ayurveda. The healing power right. of calendula, which should not be confused with the frilly, petaled French marigold another variety is harnessed in a variety of ways including macerated oils tinctures herbal teas and through ingestion our calendula oil is a maceration meaning the therapeutic properties of the petals have been extracted by steeping them in a vegetable oil modern day reasons for selecting this herb reflect many of its ancient uses the herbalist gerard mentioned above declared that calendula ceases the inflammation Calendula's anti-inflammatory properties have now been researched and the herb is commonly utilized for this action today. In particular, calendula macerations are often used in the to aid the healing of minor wounds, to soothe bee stings and cool inflamed skin conditions, including eczema and dermatitis. Delving back in time again, the ancient Egyptians are said to have used calendula as a skin rejuvenator. Today, we are still aware of its excellent effect on the skin, and calendula is often added to soothing sunburn preparations. Another Example of its skin-calming actions comes from a 2004 study by French oncology team who compared the effects of using a calendula maceration to those of a topically applied drug used to treat acute dermatitis. Their study involved women who are receiving post-operative radiation therapy as part of their breast cancer treatment, and the researchers concluded that the calendula maceration was highly effective for the prevention of acute dermatitis. In addition to this special marigold's anti-inflammatory and general skincare uses, this charming herb is also popular with aromatherapists to treat muscle tension and spasm, cracked skin, bruises, and varicose veins. Combining calendula herbal oil with general massage base oil or adding it to other preparations can bring a dash of healing power to aromatic therapeutic blends and a splash of sunshine to treatments. So that's beautiful, right? This herb, this, this flower, mm -hmm. this plant has a deep, deep history um, and it works quite well. Um, and let's see. Um, uh, but bang, bang, bang. A really cool another thing that I found uh, um, that a, a reason that it's called um, calendula is because there's, they're known to bloom on the calends of each month and mm -hmm. the, the calends is the beginning of each month and i said mm, calendula so it has all these like fun uh histories to the name so calends right calend eula uh is from the from it blooming in the early parts of the month each month uh, and then Mary Gold is, you know, to um, honor Mother Mary or Virgin Mary. Um, then you have the story of the young 
Mary Gold sitting on the cliff who vanished one day and turned into a yellow flower, which is quite interesting. And all these names, um, you know, it's fun. And then we go into the more, uh, you know, if people want to get science-based with it um, and how you can use it uh, to protect yourself against the, um, how do you say, um, toxic, uh, Americanized, Westernized um, diet, nutrition system that we live in now. Um, I found a really great study done um, and held in the National Library of Medicine. Um, and so we're going to go deep science with it real quick here. Um, I'll, I'll describe this study to you guys. So the, protect, the study is the protective effect of calendula flowers against three nitropropionic acid induced experimental Huntington's disease. Right. So I had to look up what nitropropionic acid is, and it says that um, it is a mycotoxin and a potential mitochondrial inhibitor and toxic to humans. It's produced by a number of fungus widely found in main in our in our food systems uh, and sugarcane, as well as Japanese fung uh, fungally fermented staples such as miso soy sauce and some um, other uh, Chinese dishes. It can be caused by extreme weather or stress crop growth conditions. And um, basically it, it can, it can break down your mitochondrial and causing it to be like toxic within your body. So this study is pretty cool. Oxidative stress on nitric oxide mechanisms have been recently proposed in three nitropropionic acid induced neurotoxicity, the compounds having antioxidant, anti-inflammatory estrogenic effects have been suggested for neuroprotection, neuroprotection and different experimental models. So calendula, uh, flower extract, which they call COE, is known for its potent antioxidant and anti-inflammatory estrogenic and neuroprotective activities. Hence, the present study was designed to evaluate the neuroprotective effect of COE, calendula oil, on 3NP, nitropropionic acid, induced neurotoxicity by observing behavioral changes, OS, and stradial damage in the brain. Adult uh, females were pre-treated with the vehicle of COE for seven days, followed by a co-treatment of 3NP for the next seven days. And at the end of the treatment schedule, um, the females were evaluated for alterations in sensory motor functions and short-term memory. They were sacrificed in the brain homeogen. Uh, homeogenates, which were used for the estimation of lipid peris, uh, peroxidation. Homogenates. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the homogenates were used for estimation of lipid peroxidation um, and neuronal damage in the stradial region of the brain. 3MP, 3NP caused significant alterations in animal behavior oxidative defense system evidence raised by levels of LPO and nitrate concentration and depletion of oxidation antioxidant levels. It also produced a loss of neuronal cells in the stradial region. Treatment with calendula oil significantly attenuated a behavioral alterations, oxidative damage, and stradial neuronal loss in 3MP treated 
uh, uh, patients. The present study shows that COE is protective against 3MP-induced neurotoxicity in patients. The antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, and estrogenic properties of COE may be responsible for its neuroprotective action. So, you know how they have to word it in these deep science texts. They have to say, it could be uh, calendula caused the cure, but we can't say that because we don't want to be accused for saying that it caused a cure for something. But the studies show that calendula oil definitely helps with the inflammatory responses to the uh, neurogenesis in the brain, which is basically what what's going on here. There, which is kind of a it's kind of a sick way that that science studies do this. They'll they'll take patients, whoever's willing to do it. Um, they'll give them the calendula for seven days, take and then they'll uh, give them the three and P, which is known to make you know uh, your brain swell for the most part and and uh and your veins to swell and then they treat them again with coe at the end (laughs) and it works so you guys get what they're saying calendula it's amazing it's great um you don't want mitochondrial disease if you eat a lot of soy sauce or you eat a lot of cane sugar um but if you do use sugar i i uh i recommend uh maybe um putting some medicinal herbs in your sugar and it'll help balance it out as it goes through your system. Hmm. All right, Roman. And that's Thank that's, you. that's pretty much Thank all I got. The, yeah. Thank you for the news. Actually, uh, the news. I, do I do have something. Um, okay. So I've been talking a lot about Lemuria and shit, you know, the last couple of episodes mm-hmm. I've been talking about Lemuria and I happen to have the secret doctrine that I just bought from a used bookstore the other day. And uh, by uh, Helena Blavatsky. And uh, nice. this book was published in 1888, dude. Damn, I love Blavatsky. I've, I've, it's uh, an old ass book. She this has book a lot there. of occultic symbolism breakdowns. I love it. Um, so I'm going to read a couple of things that she talks about in here with Lemuria and Hyperborea. And uh, I think it's pretty interesting stuff. I'm going to start with the first one, though, which is uh, number one, called The Imperishable Sacred Land. The reason for this name are explained as follows. This sacred land, of which more later on is stated never to have shared the fate of the other continents, because it is the only one whose destiny is to last from the beginning to the end of the Manvantara throughout each round. It is the cradle of the first man and the dwelling of the last divine mortal, chosen as Sista for the future seed of humanity. Of this mysterious and sacred land, very little can be said except, perhaps, according to a poetical expression in one of the commentaries that the pole star has its watchful eye upon us. From the dawn to the close of the twilight, of a day of the great breath. Number two is the Hyperborean will be the name chosen for the second continent, the land which stretched out its promontories southward and westward from the North Pole to receive the second race and comprise the whole of what is now known as Northern Asia. 
Such was the name given by the oldest Greeks to the far-off and mysterious region, whither their tradition made Apollo the Hyperborean travel every year. Astronomically, Apollo is, of course, the sun, who, abandoning his Hellenic sanctuaries, loved to visit annually his faraway country, where the sun was said to never set for one half of the year. There's, uh, it appears to be a foreign language, possibly looks like Russian, and then it says, says a verse in the Odyssey, so I don't actually know what that says. It says, but historically or better, perhaps, ethnologically and geologically, the meaning is different. The land of Hyperboreans, the country that extended beyond the Boreas, the frozen-hearted god of snows and hurricanes, who loved to slumber heavily on the chain of Mount Riphius, was neither an ideal country as surmised by the mythologist, mythologist, nor yet a land in the neighborhood of Scythia and the Danube. It was a real continent, a bona fide land which knew no winter in those early days, nor have its story remains more than one night and day during the year, even now. The nocturnal shadows never fall upon it, said the Greeks, for it is the land of the gods, the favorite abode of Apollo, the god of light, and its inhabitants are his beloved priests and servants. This may be regarded as poeticized fiction now, but it was poeticized truth then. The third continent we propose to call Lemuria, the name is an invention or an idea of Mr. P.L. Sclater, who asserted between 1850 and 1860 on zoological grounds the actual existence in prehistoric times of a continent, of a continent which he showed to have extended from Madagascar to Ceylon and Sumatra. It included some portions of what is now Africa, but otherwise this gigantic continent, which stretched from the Indian Ocean to Australia, has now wholly disappeared beneath the waters of the Pacific, leaving here and there only some of its highland tops, which are now islands. I can hear you scratching. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Turn your mic off if you're going to scratch like like a fucking uh, itchy dog. Whatever, man. I, you, Come on, man. I'm trying to read here, man. I didn't realize you can hear that. I do apologize if everyone had to listen to that. I had poison oak, and it's very itchy, and I know I'm not supposed to itch it, but I am with a bottle cap, so whatever. Uh, Mr. A.R. Wallace, the naturalist, extends the Australia of territory periods to New Guinea and the Solomon Islands and perhaps to Fiji. And from its marsupial types, he infers a connection with the northern continent during the secondary period, writes Mr. C. Gould in Mythical Monsters, page 47. The subject is treated at length elsewhere. Number four, Atlantis is the fourth continent. It would be the first historical land were the traditions of the ancients to receive more attention than they have hitherto. The famous island of Plato of that name was but a fragment 
of this great continent. So that sounds like Atlantis could have been more than just a continent. Number five, the fifth continent was America. But as it is situated at the antipods and tipids, it is Europe and Asia Minor, almost coval with it, which are generally referred to by the Indo-Aryan occultists as the fifth, if their teaching followed the appearance of the continents and their geological and geographical order, then this classification would have to be altered. But as a sequence of the continents is made to follow the order of evolution of the races from the first to the fifth, our Aryan root race, Europe must be called the fifth great continent. The secret doctrine takes no account of islands and peninsulas, nor does it follow the modern geographical distribution of land and sea. Since the day of its earliest teachings and the destruction of the great Atlantis, the face of the earth has changed more than once. There was a time when the delta of Egypt and northern Africa belonged to Europe before the formation of the Straits of Gibraltar and the further upheaval of the continent changed entirely the face of the map of Europe. The last serious change occurred some 1,200,000 years ago and was followed by the submersion of Plato's little Atlantic island, which he calls Atlantis after its parent continent. Geography was part of the mysteries in the days of old, says the Zohar. These secrets of land and sea were divulged to the men of the secret science, but not to the geographers. Um, I mean, this book keeps going on and on. It's but fucking I just Blavatsky, to dude. I mean, Blavatsky is one of the yeah. most pronounced like writers of that period, and it's. I mean, personally, I I discovered Blavatsky only a couple months ago, maybe a few months ago, when yeah. I was looking into Rosicrucianism stuff. Uh-huh. And she has. I mean, she's like. I'm like everything she writes about is like very on point. It's so cool. I I think maybe we should try to get on somebody that like is like a Blavatskyan or or like someone who just kind of studies her writings because then we could probably break down a lot of their a lot of their stuff in there. And because she she was really smart, especially because it comes up a lot in conversations, you know, in in this uh, in this realm that we uh, operate in. So it's it would be good to have somebody like that on the show. but yeah, I just I, I find all that stuff about Hyperborea and root races pretty interesting. It has kind of like a um Box saga vibes. Spirit science, hermeticism type vibe to it, you know. Oh, absolutely hermeticism. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah That's but cool. uh but uh, it also connects somewhat with what the Box saga is saying also. So Yeah. Um, yep. I find it to be pretty interesting beautiful well uh, uh let's yeah, let's, give them, let's give them let's give the people what they what they need what they want because we actually have a really cool interview coming up in about eight minutes we need to get to yeah let's give the people what they want <gasps> yucky. here you go there's yucky extra hey everybody thank you for tuning into today's show Rising from the ashes, and 
quickly as the fire tribe will rise. Awaken our eyes beyond what is seemingly laid upon us. We can extend our consciousness to the further ends of our cosmic understanding. If you enjoy our show and you like the content that we create, make sure to like, subscribe, share with your friends. Hello everybody, yes please, please, please do. Also follow us on Instagram at RFTA Podcast. If you have any questions or concerns, you can email us at risingftashes at yahoo.com. We are exclusively on Alt Media United. Check it out, altmediaunited.com forward slash rising. I'm Dan Yunaki Dan. And I am the homie Romy. What the fuck is happening, my brother? What's up? We got Yake for round two. How's it going, Yake? Yeah, all good. I'm uh, pretty warmed up, so yeah. yeah let's uh, <laughs> shoot some missiles. <laughs> yes. <laughs> See where they land this time. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's the early morning for you guys, right? Oh, yeah. Damn. Football hasn't even started yet, man. Oh, I've been awake for too many hours now. So. <laughs> what time is it for you over there, brother? It's only 7 p.m., but uh, I woke up like almost 6 a.m. So, Woo! Mm. Yeah, man. I'm, uh, but I, early rising is nice, I think. Absolutely. Early rising from the ashes. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> and the Sunday is a precious day. You know, it's uh, just uh, don't use the body too much and maybe just go with the head instead. <laughs> <laughs> Does Sunday have some, uh, some, some deep meanings over there? Does it have some uh, symbolic meanings for you guys? Uh, it's uh, pretty much like in America, mm-hmm. culture-wise, you know, with the church and... And this kind of thing, mm. but uh, I think uh, it's less people going to church in Sweden than in America. I think <laughs> <laughs> you know. I've been working inside the church, and I've been working there on Sundays. And I can tell you, there's like four or five regulars <laughs> at the place where I work coming, and uh, it's a dying thing. Wow. Uh, yeah. Do you think it's uh, on purpose? Or do you think it's just uh, the way society's... Uh, uh, I don't know. It's just the younger 
people don't you know sunday is a family day mostly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, you know do shit around the house and or whatever. yeah yeah that's I and mean, that's okay that's okay to yeah. pay time with your family as opposed to you know giving money to the church and that it's kind of does seem like a more old school way of doing things right yeah yeah i mean you're spending time with the you know, do things that uh, helping out with family or whatever, eating dinner, coming together or whatever, <laughs> you know, taking a chill, looking for mushrooms, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I think I think uh, church could be really like if it was more of a um, psychedelic experience. Yeah, yeah. Like a like an experience to be kind of brought to get like a cohesive community experience where like, you know. We're going to have food, which would be a huge thing if every church would do food and a meal provided. That oh, would yeah. be people well, they would need go money for food. that. So people would have to donate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the church is uh, supposed to be like a, just a gathering or meeting place. Like a younger people to... do with the, with this, uh, you know, we have something called Ungdomsgård or like a, a place where youngsters can go and meet and there's like oh. windy games and instruments yeah, yeah. and you know this kind of shit that's, that's cool. a better kind of church but it's a uh, i mean what the fuck are you gonna do in the church play some <laughs> i mean i don't know it's just play some metal yeah <laughs> it's need to be uh, if you're gonna go back to church we need to pimp it up a little bit i think yeah some... yeah yeah bring it up to speed you know like <laughs> get, get more interaction uh, more interaction and i think that was like the point i was getting at is just more interaction instead of sitting down listening to one person like maybe people of the community can go up and tell their stories and then they can communicate yeah. with the pastor or something and like do that drugs yeah and do lots yeah. of drugs yeah, lots of drugs yeah. Or a decent amount. You know, just they no drink pain, wine man. in the shower, right? Or what do they do there? <laughs> that's what they were supposed to, that's what they used to do. They used yeah. to do drugs. They used to Yeah, the churches have this vineyard, you know, and all this uh, Yeah, I think that was a thing, you know. And I know that the, when the the church got uh, really like established here in Sweden, the the people that were having the the saloon, or what we we don't call it saloon in Swedish uh, Sweden, but the, you know those drinking places that you go to on the like bar. Friday, Saturday. It was the priests that uh, run those places too. Oh, oh really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Orange That's shot weird. for everybody. <laughs> so Christianity a lot is a lot about drinking. I think also. Uh, Oh, I think really? they have been uh, scrubbing that uh, away a little bit, but mm-hmm. I think so, uh, at least in the uh, Catholic Church. Uh, the Protestant <laughs> might be a little bit different, but I'm not really sure. Uh, but I just know that in Sweden, it was uh, like on paper that it was the priest that was also running the like the, <laughs> the drinking places. <laughs> <laughs> interesting detail. That is interesting, yeah. Yeah, churches churches should probably have big gardens and big vineyards and places yeah. to you know ferment and brew and to to heal the body and the mind, which is in turn going to heal the spirit. Um, so encouraging proper, you know, sustainable nutrition at the church. Information about how you can heal your body. You can pro- you can all go along the same lines of healing your spirit as well at the same time. 
Hmm. Well, I'm just thinking if you if you are drunk Friday, Sun uh, Saturday, <laughs> 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 then when you come to church on Sunday. I mean, you're quite uh, open. Big breakfast. Uh, you're like cracked open with yeah. your spirit. There. I mean, you're so <laughs> fucking low-guarded. I can take ev- anything at this point, right? <laughs> it's a perfect setup. It's a perfect setup. That's yeah, so funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's true. So yeah. what, we're gonna, what are we going to talk about today? I want to talk about like the Swedish history and how that connects into Box Saga and the Freemasonry, well, the origin of the Freemasonry there, and Gustav. I can talk a little about uh, uh, what we have to just uh, declare is that uh, uh, when the when the Christian world sort of took over, this uh, is around, I would say. <laughs> 1050 around that is when they really took over but uh, officially like 1250 or something like that Mm -hmm. like if you read a history book it's around 1250 when it uh, really got down because that's when uh, Sweden moved their capital from Uppsala to Stockholm and sort of built this Stockholm city Mm. and it's uh, a town that is uh, like the first Christian town. So now every city that was built after that had to take like Stockholm, for example. So, sort of like that. It's uh, like the new example. Because it has this symbol with the three crowns. And I think it uh, has to do with uh, the three uh, Arctic people, like the Finnish, oh. the Danish, and the, and the Swedish. Because they are really three different. Because the Finnish and the Russians are sort of the same. So. Yeah. But uh, to go from there, we have to understand that uh, from 1250, Finland and Sweden was the same country. Uh, It was much bigger than it was today. So... uh, with this uh, creation of Stockholm, this, I think Stockholm became like the, uh, what do you call it? It was meant to be like this new capital of the north or to a sort of a base for the Catholics, I think. But uh, mm. this is more speculations, but uh, it could be could be true to get the control of, of those three. But... Uh, at later age, uh, the Danish were the ones that was really like the Danes and the Swedish has been hating each other for hundreds and hundreds of years. Oh, really? It's sort of a yeah, it's a it's a hate, a real hate against those two. Uh, Why do you think that is? Because of like Sven and Dan, the two brothers, like they just have, yeah, like, it's a, a brother against brother in, in one way. It's just a. Uh, I think it has to do with this divide and conquer scheme, you know. Yeah. But, uh, I know that uh, there was a, uh, a Danish king sitting in there and ruling Stockholm in the 1500s. Uh, and he caused this uh, Stockholm bloodbath. He killed off uh, most of the aristocracy that was uh, ruling Sweden 
because in Stockholm all the are are also the highest aristocracy were living in Stockholm. It was only a couple of thousand people living in Stockholm total. Yeah. Only the aristocracy and probably like a selected people, like also cleaning people and so. But it was a city for the aristocracy. And uh, this, uh, if you have seen Game of Thrones, uh, this uh, mm-hmm. this uh, wedding that they have, yeah, the red wedding. Yeah, this is uh, sort of the vibe I get. Yeah, I was going to ask you that too. Yeah, that's it's a, it's a mo- that's what it like went that. into my head when you said that. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, maybe the author has been taking inspiration, perhaps from this uh, Stockholm bloodbath, because it's really a betrayal. Mm-hmm. Not a betrayal, but a real stab in the back in one way. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, like, everyone in that room that had been signing some kind of contract had to lose their head. But uh, this uh, Gustav Vasa, the first, uh, he uh, was uh, late to the show, so to speak. So he could. they had already barred the doors. And this Gustav Vasa, his uh, mother is, uh, ha- uh, also, she's called like some kind of uh, moon daughter, uh, the daughter of the moon. Moon daughter. Uh-huh. Moon daughter. Yes, I think this Vasa family is, uh, it's not coming from like the male side, from the from the author family or the because it's mentioned in the box saga that the, the, this uh, Gustav Vasa's mother is uh, is one of the Boxstrom or coming from the uh, the Boxstrom family in Finland. Mm-hmm. So it's not like before they always went with the males uh, sperm line, you could say, but. I think that's why they are calling the vase A, because it's the vase. It's a vase. It's a female. Oh. The the sav is yeah. in the vase if you turn it back backwards. But so they are called vase A, and A is also so it's like some kind of preservation of the author. But uh, through the female line now. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, this was uh, after the Stockholm bloodbath, he got some kind of finance, probably via this uh, Templar network in Germany, because the Germans and the Swedes uh, have been uh, really tight. Uh, there's uh, actually in the old town of Stockholm, there's a uh, German church where everything is in German. <laughs> the first, like immigrants, mm-hmm. were also German to Sweden. So. There's some kind of connection with Germany, especially the more northern states of Germany, you could say, like Brandenburg and all this uh, has something to do also with uh, with this uh, Templar system. The Jarl family is also in Germany, England, Ireland, Scotland. Russia, you know, all the European countries that uh, are coming from the author, from the white 
people, so to speak, the the, the Arctic people, mm-hmm. <laughs> the Templars. But this is the 1500. But uh, I think this order originates from the Scandinavia, because we have been finding here like lodges that have been existing around year thousand. Uh, so that's like before even when the Templars is said to exist. And also in the rune yeah. stones, you have the Templar symbolism quite clear. The Templar cross there is a, it's a form of a, of this Rusty. The, it's a circus information system. You can say, because the church used this one more leg symbol of the, of the cross. It's called one Risti. It's with a longer cross there. They also build the churches accordingly to that structure. So they are like there's like a symbol for two different kinds of uh, information systems in one way. But this uh, Templar symbol is uh, a heathen symbol, you could say. It's the heathen for uh, for this uh, circus or the theater or the it's a, it's when you sit in a ring and you have a theater in the middle in the middle like mm. exactly like one circus that symbol represent that but well, it's also one cross yeah the templar symbol is is like the red cross right yes With, uh, uh, is there differs. something in the middle isn't it no? if, i'm going to I'm going to just take a look here because it's uh, it's quite interesting if you look at the symbolism in uh, Malta, for example. Yeah, exactly. The Knights of Malta or the Knights Hospitallers, they have this, uh, hold on. Yeah, it's very similar to the Danish symbolism. Uh, Iron Cross. Yes, uh, I, name for it. I know a Templar, and he uh, he says to me like also that uh, uh, Denmark has been one of the biggest like Templar uh, headquarters, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised over that. Well, that would but, connect in with the symbolism from Nazi Germany and the Iron Cross, also. Yes, because it looks it, very. It's the it basically is a Templar cross. Yes, also this swastika is a, is a symbol that you can find on the artifacts that uh, are dug up here in Sweden. You know, old uh, gold little, you know, it's a very, very used uh, symbol here in the north. Uh, but also if you go to like Thailand and Vietnam, it's uh, it has been coming with the Buddhist, uh, Buddhist also. And probably Hinduist. Uh, it's a universal symbol. But uh, what the Nazi Germany, I mean, they put this swastika to be like the symbol of, you know, it's a symbol of both life and death. It's a, on the graveyards in Vietnam, they have it on the, on the tombstones, the swastika. It's uh, about, also about, uh, you know, the journey to the afterlife or you know mm. this kind of concept because the swastika I, yeah it's a i think old. i heard about it uh was to show that the world 
is spinning. It's like the four cardinal directions, and then the little yeah. arms that come off it are to show that the world is spinning in a, in a circle, and that's the general direction of the spiral or the energy that's going around it. And that's why you can see it in, in two different ways. There's the, the Nazi way, which is there to the right, but there's also the, the one, like you were saying, there's one that goes to the left, and uh, it's so it's like a flip of that. But one could mean death, and one could be I think so. Life. Jim, you, I know Jim talked about it also. Like we have a, a little match that is called Svavelsticka. Uh, you know, and uh, because it's called Svastika. Oh. St- stickan is one uh, one pole or one uh, stick. You know, one match is one sticka. Yeah. So, and uh, Svavelstickan or Svastikan, it says a salt for wheel because they had this kind of, uh, on the Yggdrasil tree, they had one ash tree that uh-huh. was the, the, uh, the Yggdrasil tree that represented the author class. And yeah. they had this kind of arrangement where they had sulfur in four bags, containers, and they could start to spin it in one fashion around the tree. And uh, that was the svavelstickan or the svastika for them because it made this trail around it also, like the like it has yeah. because it's like one cross and it could be like this flaming little uh, like one meteor have also, you know. Uh huh. So so everything they try to replicate, but because it ha- has to do with the turning of the of the tilt, uh, or I mean the axis. Yeah. You know, so it spins around its own axis. But this uh, kind of force has also to do with the journey to Valhalla for the souls. Like in this death ceremony where they, you know, when they burn the bodies and they put the ash under the tree. So it would, you know, this kind this story, I think I told about it last time, but this swastika has to do with death, exactly like the, the Vietnam people, it's a very accurate thing to put it on the on the tombstone <laughs> because it has also to do with death. Yeah, it's a it's a life and death thing. You know, it everything has two coins. Oh, oh I mean, uh, one a coin has uh, two sides. It seems to yeah. me like a, like the the way of thinking because the words also have a flip side. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I heard that a lot too. Like when when words started, the regular way you say it is like the good way, but then the reverse is the opposite, so it would be the bad way. Kind of like uh, live and evil. If you flip live, yeah, I uh, thought around, about that too. Then it's evil, you know. Or good if you uh, good is well. I don't. We don't say doog, but <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but God and dog. But see, that doesn't make sense either. But dog in Swedish is uh, to die. Oh, really? Yeah. And good, good is to live. Yeah, it's a good is God. Oh, okay. So good is God. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to talk about that too because the way that the goth, the gothy, or the gothics spelled their name, the the D, uh, or the that little symbol at the end kind of looked like a D. 
You know what I'm saying? It's like a circle and then like a little, another little circle kind of a, but it looked like a, a little bit of a tilted infinity symbol. The got. Yeah. You the don't got. have to have, they always put the H like in Thor, but yeah. it's only supposed to be Thor. And also with this got, they goth, they put this TH on the end, but got is. It's, uh, it, it's, uh, if you eat something good, we say it tastes good. <laughs> oh, you know, yeah, it's a it's a good taste. Also, it's a, oh, yeah. So, but a good taste can uh, be across the the board. So, I mean, so so yeah, we we've changed the word to goth, and it means like darkness or like you know, yeah, like if you think of dark. gothic people, it's dark. But the original word meant good or the yeah, good you people could say that. because a got. lot of the a lot of like the the structures that they call like gothic style or whatever uh they they actually it came from the goths yeah the, the goats and then but if you the, look at it that even further then it's like the goat and then the goat yeah. picture right back to the Acer and but uh, a good example, if you want to say to reach good in Swedish, mm-hmm. you can say no got, nor got, no got, and that's also something. Nor nor means reach. No means reach, yes. Or, so yeah. no, like Norway would be the reach way or the yeah passage way, you or could say the... so, yes. Oh. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, Norway cool. is the way of the north. No r nor, yeah. To reach Ra also. Oh, to reach Ra. Yeah. No got. No got is something in Swedish also. Something else. Something. You see, it's so in the English. It's like a more updated version to come back, like. Repair, re- oh. repairing, to repair the ring. Repair the <laughs> ring, and pair pair is a god. Pair uh, paradise, pair. Yeah, you see. Yeah, pair, he was the first god, right? Pair is Uku. Pair is uh, the All Father, also. Uku and Aka. yeah, pair, pair, and yeah. you know, pair is. Uh, you know, Bok, when he becomes old and has created a new sun goat, so to speak. Hmm. Because, he, yeah, the first goat is uh, the moon goat. The last in the family to be born or to get a title is the sun goat. And then he becomes pair. So it oh. becomes, it's a system that could be re- Pairing, so it's it's a uh, yeah. You see, in, in even in this world, we can find what what's the thing with the moon though? Uh, what what sun becomes the moon? Yeah, the firstborn son, he represents the moon. So he's the kingship though, too, right? Yeah, he's the he's the uh, the face on the on the coin. Yeah, but and then uh, the last yeah. son is the one that has the children, and that one's the son. Yes. Yeah, the, seven, exactly. the seventh son of the seventh son, the Iron Maiden song. Yeah, the last, yeah. Uh, the last born they call Sol Bokkenbalder, and the first yeah. is this Mon Bokkenbalder. 
Huh. So, uh, and the, the brothers in between is called uh, the the ten tin tio. Is the yeah they have other they can be secretary and uh, this kind of secretary we call it is one title I know. It's like this regular title things that you can find. Yeah. In, in today's uh, mostly in the bureaucratic. What's interesting <laughs> too to me because I. I associate the moon with Lucifer or uh, Satan um, and that figure. And the moon, I think in Sumerian or Akkadian, it's called Kingu. Kingu. And it's interesting that the moon is a representation of the king uh, reborn. And then uh, his name was also Ra, right? The moon was Ra before. uh, Exactly. so it has like uh so he it, it is the king so even in the in the box saga yes the first you have a, is the moon representation and is the king i know that this moon king <laughs> monkey <laughs> yeah but this, and monks, uh, this rock, monks he consults uh uko or pat mhm he uh, you know the sun, the old sun, uh, goat. And, so there's a consort anyway between. And, and like Hindu uh, belief system, Hindustan, uh, they say that the monkey people came and helped them build Rama's bridge. Yeah. So the moon key people, maybe there's just monkeys. Could be, you know, translations is nothing to. We need to do everything from scratch then, you know. We need to go back and uh, look at the architecture and the symbolism at those old places by ourselves when we have this kind of knowledge to take a revisit at the yeah. old. Because it's not scripture in that way with hieroglyphs and uh, this uh, Mayan or Aztec, you know, all those uh, old uh civilizations they all all you know they seem to be working with like hieroglyphics like the chinese also do they are having the hieroglyphic way also you know with the old chinese it's just or korean is all also like that i think like symbols yeah like symbols and all this because it's so easy to uh, interpretate it uh, sort of wrong because it's up to the reader when it comes to symbolism it's all about interpretation and that mm-hmm. uh, that needs a lot of uh, uh you know it requires a lot of logic and uh, insight by the translator also so it's a uh, I, I, I would uh, <laughs> i would suggest just trying to rediscover and uh, reinterpretate the old uh, you know, not text. I hate to say text, but uh, the what the best way is to travel, of course, and go to those places mm-hmm. like Egypt and all this. But yeah, I mean, it, it's it needs to do it needs to be revisited. I think that's what I think. I mean, there's a lot of uh, nuggets of truth, of course, but uh, you can see in the translation that there's a more the mind that has been translating or interpreting the, those glyphs, you know, they have a more Christianized or it's a yeah. 
such a big different understanding in the brain if compared to like a person who made it like three or four thousand thousand years ago at least i mean the leap is huge and if you have no idea about how they even lived or customs or anything it's going to be really hard to interpret uh, work from that era i really think so so i mean it's nice that there are some translations because like i said some things are could be right but uh, i think it needs to be looked over some a couple of more times <laughs> yeah you also see like uh monk too is uh has the moon in it yeah um and moon. a monk is like a moon. highly enlightened uh person monk <laughs> yeah one moon is also one mouth <laughs> it's a mouth yeah, monk, monk. Huh. Uh, but the, in Swedish, we call monk a monk. We have the U. The Ooh, monk. monk. Like one donut is also one monk. It's a circle. <laughs> oh, oh, that's funny. Yeah. I had one monk this morning. <laughs> that's <Plenty>. good. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> one monk for breakfast. Yeah, but there's like a <laughs> there's a monkfish too, monkfish. Yeah, but the it's don- monkey or fish. monkey. It's uh, interesting, yeah. yes. But they t- uh, in the box saga they talk about how we come from the monkey. It's the key to the moon with the monkey side. Yeah, see, there you go. Yeah, and on the goat side, it's more this because they do uh, trails and roads, sort of. You know, they are a herd. And uh, we can see in the human psyche also that we are very herd uh, mentality. But the ape is not like that. They don't make the trails and the roads. They uh, uh. they run all over the place and jump. You know, the, this more primal... Uh, I would say this more rampage, uh, anarchistic behavior in man come from the monkey. And this more structured civilization side, you know, this more order side come from the come from the goat, I would say. From the goat. Yeah. This uh, that they could be led. Because yeah, we also call our children kids too. Kids yeah. a baby goat is a kid. Yes. And our kids. So our when we call our kids kids, we're calling them baby goats. That's the same, yes. Yeah. I know that uh, in the, this Atlantis period, they didn't want to eat the goat. They didn't have the stomach to do so. So they needed to create other animals, like the pig and the sheep. Uh, you know, and the cow also. So you think this was probably in the age of uh, Sagittarius, which is the goat? Well, if I had a good astrologer, could uh, tell like uh, because I, I don't like, know how how long it it is between those uh, more epoch epochal times. Yeah, between how many many thousand years is it? Do you know between uh, each? But it's about twenty five or to twenty six or something like that. Okay. 
I think it's Number, very close I'm, to like a moon. Uh, but I'm thinking which, about the, the like we say we're going into the age of Aquarius. Right. Yes. Those cycles. Yes. How long it, is yeah. every epoch? About two thousand five hundred okay. to two thousand eight hundred years. Okay. Well, I mean, they would have been going through this a lot of times during fifty million years, right? Yes, over and over <laughs> and over again. But when you just start to go back in the in the time that we're we exist in now, we we are in the age of Pisces, and that's kind of seems like about the same time period that Jesus showed up, and oh. then it was the fish, right? And then he gave the fish to feed everyone. It has a lot of astrological symbolism, and then before the fish. And the Pisces was the ram, right? So that was uh, Aries. And then the the lamb of God, so the lamb of the ram, because uh, the lamb is a baby ram. So then that's where you get the Jesus imagery. And then if you go back from before the ram, you get uh, Taurus the bull mm. and the age of the uh, Aries and the Tartarians. And then if you go before that, I don't really know what's before the bull. Uh, but I think only like one or two more signs you get to Capricorn and Capricorn's the goat. Oh, and, th- and that's the Christmas. Okay. I was just thinking about the, you know, the book saga has a story about Jesus also. <laughs> and I, I have a video that I have not published, but we go through it, me and Jim, because he has been visiting the places where Jesus is supposed to. Oh, be did in. he really? Yeah, exactly. Uh, especially from the box saga. I remember because in the box saga, this Jesus, his parents are coming from uh, the Osir family mm-hmm. in Finland. There's like a brother and sister, but uh, they made like an illegal child, you could say. So they had to. They uh, were exiled from Udalma or hell. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, this uh, Jesus, he was born like, like outside of, like, uh, you know, I don't know exactly where they ended up because I don't know the story in detail, but he ended up in some court down there and was raised because he was a very special guy because he was this white blonde guy or redhead or whatever. But uh, distinguished from the others. Yeah. And he started to do this uh, uh, because he had heard about Krishna in India and this kind of story. So he wanted to do something like it, like Krishna did. And uh, when the Jews heard about this, Christ, they didn't like it because they were already, they know, knew what happened there in, uh, with Krishna in India. So uh, they uh, put him on a shame pole and uh, toss uh, tomatoes and, you know, whatever to shame him. And uh, uh-huh. and then he went to India, this Jesus, and uh, died peaceful, uh, peacefully there. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's uh, a shrine really? there for Jesus. Uh, there's a part there in India where he's supposed to be and his ash were like thrown into the, <coughs> the river there. But it's a different story. But and then they made up all this uh, story about Jesus. 
hmm. apparently. So that's like a, a little story. But the main part of is it, uh, of course, that they are coming from hell. And so Jesus was not the Christ. Well, he was the Antichrist Krishna, in one way. Krishna already, <laughs> because, well, Krishna already existed because a lot of people say that Jesus and Krishna is the same, is the same thing. Yeah, he wanted to embody Krishna. But he was seeking out Krishna so he could be more like Krishna. No, Krishna is much earlier. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, he was seeking Krishna. Yeah. He wasn't Krishna himself. No, no. He was just inspired what he did, I think. That's interesting. And uh, this Krishna is also one like flip out story because he's coming from Udenma with this uh, cow that was developed during Atlantis. And uh, okay. he killed, uh, I, I know we talked about this last time, but he killed uh, the king down there in India and took over and made this like Brahman priest class. Uh, yeah. And uh, shortly after, I think this Mahabharata war stories came, and it, that is very similar to like how the Old Testament is, and uh, you know it's a very aggressive mm-hmm. text. Uh, but anyway, this Jesus story is quite interesting uh, if you look at it uh, more like a because uh, it's if you understand this that the Jews are coming from India. And they don't really like this white guy, this Krishna. Uh, it's a very early seeded hate, maybe against white people could be uh, from the Jewish side. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's uh, something that I've been thinking about. So it could be some ancient kind of hatred towards white people. Yeah, that like I've been really thinking about that too because. Um, there's uh, people called the Hebrew Israelites, and they believe that Jesus was black. Okay. And but uh, but but they talk about the story of Jacob and Esau, and uh, and how Esau gave away his birthright to his brother, and Esau was like born uh, like hairy, red hair, and he was a white guy i guess and uh they kicked him out and uh he started uh uh his own nation um i forget the name of it east s s uh fuck anyway (laughs) and ended up uh turning out to be uh constantine the second and justin um just justonian um, I can't remember that guy's name either. Uh, brain fart. I yeah. know how it is. I know exactly how it is. Uh, no, it's hard to remember. It yeah, but it's hard, <laughs> it's hard to remember all these names. But so yeah. basically, what the Hebrew Israelites believe is that uh, black people were always around, and uh, white people uh, pretty much just came to try to reclaim everything for themselves, and they very much don't like white people. And the Hebrew Israelites, and uh, and basically they say they're the original Jews. They're the Hebrews. Yeah. The Jews that call themselves Jews now are not the real Jews. No, there are uh, white Jews. I think they are. They came out from Russia. This white Jew, I think. It's mm. uh, 
I don't really trust the stories about the white Jews, but they are some kind of Russian white Jew. They're Ashkenazi. Yeah, they are some kind of... I heard different stories about them, but... Um, Ashkenazi comes from kind of near, like, Moscow Mm. in Russia. I don't really... I'm not really sure, you know, but there are two sides to this. And I uh, even heard, like, a speculation that there's a one side of those Jews, uh, like the, I don't know which one, but because it said like the Hitler is uh, was uh, financed by one of the Jewish Jewish yeah. sides to uh, like go against the other side. Well, the Rothschild means red shield. Okay. Like the I mean, Templar, there's Red so Shield. much to uh, to to I learn, mean, you, could, you know, on this. Yeah, you could this. interpret it differently too. There could be other Red Shields also besides the Templar Cross Shield, but who knows? Uh, I mean, some of the some of the mummies that they have found recently that they have uh, uncovered have had red hair. The ones in, from yeah. Egypt, they have like a r- reddish hair and like a uh, like the crook the the crook nose, the typical like Jewish style nose. Oh yeah, which is very interesting. <clears throat> but to go back a little bit uh, to to this uh, Templar thing, I think uh, maybe this kind of organization has been existing for you know who knows thousands of years. I know that the the first flags that were ever ma- uh, used were used by Denmark, and this is uh, some kind of thing that the Templars would be behind, I think, with the symbolism and the high, uh, the different kind of... Because they have a shield, those Jarl families. Uh, they have a weapon shield, they call it, or a family shield. And uh, they are uh, talking about family trees. <clears throat> you know, there's so much symbolism that, uh, mm-hmm. that are coming out from the heathen world that are put into, like, concepts within those gentleman clubs or... Because uh, the public didn't really know, because they had to work underneath the nose of the of the church, and mm-hmm. they had spies everywhere. Um, so it's uh, we don't really know too much. But what happened there in the 1500s? Uh, Sweden kicked the bishop out from the Catholics and became the first country in Europe to to kick out the Catholic Church. And uh, Sweden was ruled by this Vasa family. It's really this uh, event, uh, the Stockholm bloodbath, that triggered this kind of revolt mm. that has. So they had a course or, a, you know, who knows what kind of hidden games they have been playing. I mean, the, almost the entire aristocracy in Sweden died. And now they got this monarch who are descending from the from the Finnish throne, and that's the highest king uh, title you can have, uh, you know, to have le- uh, legitimacy, because uh, he was touring around in uh, both uh, Sweden and uh, Finland uh, to get uh, castles. And he even got the Rasipuri castle there in Finland, which is the old king castle of, uh, of the Finnish king and queen. Uh, but he got all those castles uh, and uh, he got uh, to be like a legi- uh, legitimate king 
in the ruling of the Swedish Empire. And what he did, he forbid all Catholics. And uh, these Jesuits uh, were like the secret order of the Catholic Church that mm-hmm. was trying all kind of angles to to get the whole of uh, people in the court or whatever, you know. But he, uh, Sweden got so successful with uh, building up like a state, uh, uh, statsapparat or the, the bureaucracy. Uh, like uh, the rest of the world are used to see now. It's like a, it started here in Sweden with the Gustav Vasas to build this kind of bureaucracy that we can see now in the world been playing out you know it was like the first and uh, this kind of uh, modern warfare was also invented during those Vasa times I'm now spreading out what happened under a couple of hundred years but they ruled for around 300 years up to the Napoleonic ages and I believe I don't believe but I know for a fact that all those uh, Vasa kings were also Templars and were really active in in the in the, in those communities also do you think napoleon was a jesuit there's a story of napoleon also uh, during the time of napoleon uh sweden had a really really good uh, relationship with the french so there's a lot of imp- information that has been coming from the inside uh, because they wrote journals and all this the mm-hmm. Templars. Uh, there's a Freemason called, or a Freemason, and uh, he had the title Grand Marshal of uh, Sweden. Uh, Axel von Fersen. He was like some kind of James Bond figure almost down there in France and tried to save the, the royal family from the revolution. But uh, he didn't succeed. But... Uh, there's actually a story that are coming from Eeyore that are t- uh, talking about how this uh, Napoleon, he was a part of the Knights Templars. Mm-hmm. And he even got to the point that he was uh, going to be baptized into the order. And this is a heathen ritual mm-hmm. uh, where they stroke the, the sperm on the forehead. <laughs> yeah, it's some kind of ritual. <laughs> But <laughs> but anyway, he got to that point where he uh, Napoleon supposed to be to become some kind of higher. He, he was uh, supposed to graduate, and he found out about this that they are doing this kind of hedonistic rituals. So uh, he sold them out and uh, exposed them, and had mm-hmm. like a legitimate course. Now, when he had the uh, religious powers behind him, I think. And the first thing that he did, he went to Egypt. We know that he went to Egypt. And on the way mm-hmm. there, he bombarded the headquarters there in Malta, the nice hospitalers, they, the bombardment of Malta. There's some kind of event you can look it up on Wikipedia, but this kind of chased them out from Malta, so they had to go to Europe. Because I believe it was some kind of economic base or something they had on there. It was a strategic uh, operation point there in the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. But uh, they went to Europe. And uh, this is the time when they started uh, a lot of casinos. You can see when casinos are becoming a thing, 
it's around that era uh, that time also they were crumbling you know because this templar network empire was really i think they was on their height up until the french revolutions because that's i wanted to talk about that the, what started like the rise of the templars or that they really took over with power was in the uh, 1530s with this Gustav Vasa revolt because Sweden become, became the Protestant headquarter of the world, sort of. They were clean of the Catholics. Meanwhile, they were uh, trying to root the Catholics out from uh, Europe. And uh, with Gustav uh, II Adolf, he made a crusade through Europe and uh, managed to drive out the Catholics with the help of the Irish and the Scottish. And, uh, you know, he rallied a lot of the European, like uh, especially those who are uh, more con- connected to the Swedes, like the Irish and the Scottish. They were really with this king. And uh, they managed to... I think they also implemented this new kind of a state uh, state apparatus in Germany, in the northern part of Germany, where they started, you know, uh, as they, as Gustav Adolf went with his crusade for Europe, he also, like, uh, reformed the 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 society into the model that Sweden already had invented. So, and this is the time also when the civil, uh, you know, during Napoleonic ages. Uh, because uh, <clears throat> this development went on all the way up to Gustav III here in Sweden. Uh, so the Templars became very, I think they become very like uh, prideful and uh, started to be more open with their symbolism and uh, in- incorporated in- into it, into architecture. And so in Stockholm and in Germany. And so you can see. Uh, uh, buildings and so from 15, 16, 1700 around that is like very high uh, you could Mm -hmm. say almost like a Greek style baroque this kind of fine architecture with a lot of symbolism would you say that word, did you say baroque? yeah baroque it's a form of style, I don't know the English word for it how is it spelled? Baroque, B B H R U C K. Baroque. Baroque. Like Baroque. Yeah, it's a, it's a style. It's a style. <laughs> it's a. It's this uh, arist- aristocratic style, you know, with the yeah. lead, big leather sofas and, you know, this kind mm. of uh, everything is handmade and fine, and it's only the best that goes, you know. This Executive. kind of. Yeah, this kind of uh, yeah. style is what also came with uh, the Templars. You know, so this, people when they talk about Napoleon, also they they talk about the fact that he would put his hand in his jacket, and mm-hmm. uh, people will talk about how that's like symbolism for the hidden hand. Yeah, like the I think he was uh, a part of the everything. opposing. Uh, bec- I think yes. he was a part of the opposing forces, I really think, because he must yeah. be coming from maybe some kind of Muslim family. He has 100 cousins. So it it's, seems like he is almost like a 
Jesuit undercover tried to infiltrate uh, the uh, Templar order. Yeah. But then, you know, that ended up starting the conflict in the first place is, is his infiltration. And then he basically just went full-fledged hidden hand, which is the Jesuits. Uh, because it's interesting is um, when we talked to Ari Asulin, uh, he had mentioned that uh, Napoleon like came to America and burned down Washington, D.C., <laughs> uh, the Capitol building. And, and, you know, it, it was just hearsay or whatever, but he, what he was trying to, he was trying to reconfigure history in a way to support, you know, what he was talking about. But I have recently heard another podcast and I'm going to have, um, him on the show, uh, Josh Monday. And, uh, they did a whole thing about the Templars versus Freemasons in America. It's very interesting. And so it's I interesting to that. It's uh, the interesting thing, uh, to see that there is a connection through this also. Yes. I'm going to come to that. Uh, in the, uh, like in the Box Saga, they mention also that uh, when, uh, when they came to Europe, you know, the, uh, this Napoleon, he was chasing them out all through fucking Europe. So they made this decision to go to America. Yeah. And uh, have the headquarters there and operate from there instead. And it's very interesting, this Gustav III that uh, was, uh, you know, he was assassinated by the Illuminist forces. Uh, and Gustav uh, and, was uh, a Templar. Yes. Okay. Uh, and it's interesting, he created three new orders in Sweden during, uh, like in the 1770 or something. And that indicates that there was something wrong. Uh, or there was something going on within the uh, the lodges down there in France. Yeah. They must have been starting the infiltration down there in France. And you can see this Adam Weishaupt uh, has the first target there on France also with the letter that came out. Because a lightning struck him and he died. And uh, the police found uh, documents that were... when they They found some suspicious documents on his body. So they made a a house warrant against this Adam Weishaupt and they found plans of the revolutions there in France, but they thought it was just obscure. Can one man start a revolution in France? But uh, he had plans for it and uh, uh, those they call themselves the Illuminists, but I think this is the assassins or the this uh, more... Uh, religious uh, forces or what you want to call them Jesuits or whatever. I think all mm -hmm. those kind of religious forces should have the same kind of motive. Well, and, the Jesuits uh, are like the, the warriors or the, the military arm of yeah, okay. the Vatican. <clears throat> yes. This more, uh, what's like, what can we, uh, the Gestapo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and the Jesu Jesuiter, and we had the Jacobiner, the Jacobines. Those were more the temporal, tem uh, Templar army, you could say. This mm -hmm. the Jacobines, the Jacobiner, we call them, because they were accepted here. Uh, they could operate. So it's like this kind of battle between two, two different forces. I see it as the Catholics and the, or the religious forces, uh, 
the Abra, what do you call it? The Abrahamic religions and the yeah and the pagans. Mm-hmm. It's it's this yeah. kind of battle I see going on in different forms and shapes during yeah thousands of thousands of years, like five thousand years or so. This battle has been going. Yeah, a lot in conspiracy culture, they talk about like this hidden uh, religious battle or this hidden like spiritual battle. I think that's what that battle is. It's it's the heathens versus the Abrahamic Abra- religion. Yeah, I, you know, because I don't really know which one of them it is. It no, seems we don't know. Be, I don't yeah, know seems- so much about them. I, that's uh, that's the next area of research. To try to research those hashashins. They call themselves. Because it makes so much sense. They, they uh, hash is a uh, is the hash. They, uh, I think they sell in that format. You know, mm. especially That's, when they operate in the, in countries where it's illegal, so yeah. they can sell it on the black market, and then they can operate. And that's the Assyrians also. Yes, it should be the same. The, the assassins we call them in modern words, but. They are called like hashashins or something like that. Yeah, like uh, like uh, users of hash, or <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's a weird, uh, but uh, because they know that uh, there's a big uh, culture, they must know with the spice that uh, there's a big, there has been a big culture in smoking in uh, Scandinavia and the Vikings, uh, so to speak. The Vikings, the Viking is just a uh, an era, you could say, or we king, we kings. Yes. It means uh, it's a uh, the 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 Viking uh, like some image we have is just the image during the final stand, so to speak, against uh, the Catholics. Can you break down uh, like Vi- Viking? Is is there? Do you know where that word comes from? Because there's very many, uh, there's a few different ideas of where that comes from. To me, I think it might be like uh, the Vikings were the like kind of the warrior class of the six kings of Europe, uh, and they yeah, were the out to destroy to the... the the try to stop the Abrahamic religions the catholic religion from spreading into europe but but I, i'm thinking like that there are no kings there there are no like non the king title is an arctic title at first they use castles here in europe and they use citadel in the in the south it's uh mm. they have like sultan, sultan and this yeah. and this kind of uh, titles uh, the king title is a European, it's a white uh, culture title, so to speak. It's a yeah. uh, V king. It's like white king or we are kings. We kings. It's a reference to the Arctic people, I think. Yes. Oh. With the, like, like the three crowns of Sweden is we kings. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Because it's the crown is a symbol of, a, of the king crown, of course. And a crown is also like this hidden concept of family tree with a, a tree as a crown. The top of the tree, like some, the echelon is the king, which is the, also the, the face out or the, 
representing the, the entire tree. <laughs> you see, hmm. it's very uh, symbolical in that way, so to speak, also because it's something that grows. A king has his domain or rike, we call it. Yeah, and. Uh, in a more heathen tradition, everyone in that kingdom should have been family also. L- like one family. In uh, Symbolized by one tree with a crown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But in the, in the, in the Islamic, uh, in the religious world more, it's... Uh, you don't have that uh, because they uh, they killed their heathen system so long ago. It's it's not the case anymore mm-hmm. uh, that they can tell that you have one king. You know, it's a it's a very dying concept. Uh, I mean, Gustav Vasa is called our land's father or our father, our land's father like george washington perhaps for you or uh, founding fathers you tell them oh okay yeah but the land's father is one guy it's the one king that yeah it's a it's it's a concept uh, you see it's so rooted into symbolism i i'm sure that the the more uh sultan and the symbolism around that should also be very if you look at it from this perspective, it should make sense within that symbology also. Yeah. Do, do you think the Freemasons uh, came out of the Templar order? Yes, I think it's the, the lower branches because uh, I can see that the infiltration that happened uh, or the... Because the uh, both the French Revolution and the Russian Revolution has been a lot about going after aristocrats and killing off the class society. You know, the communists, mm-hmm. they talk about they want to kill the ca- class struggle and, you know, they want to also go after the, the aristocrats. I know that uh, when uh, Russia has been invading uh, Finland, they especially went after the fine-looking people and the people that spoke Swedish because the, uh, the people who spoke Swedish in uh, Finland, they were the aristocratic. So it's all about going after this kind of class struggle and only have the peon class left, you know, because they are easiest to control, I would guess, because, you know, they wanted to kill off this entire he all hidden structure with the... The author class, and you have the Jarl and the Karl, and then the Trail. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a caste system society. With the, on a more uh, practical level, you have like the king and queen, which is the author, you could say, yeah. and then you have the Jarl, which uh, handles networking and uh, this kind of networking uh, and holding together the realm. But they meet underneath the house of the king for example they are like coming together at the court or the hall so you have this kind of at the hall you can see you can see straight there that they they are coming from this networking social uh type of uh, role 
and the the, <clears throat> the Knights Templars is a network also. So mm-hmm. I just think they started to do everything underneath the surface. But the car class is the craftsmen and the the people who were closer to the city core, like blacksmiths and uh, you know these more specialized uh, that are refining. Uh, you know, a blacksmith uh, can't just work as a blacksmith without any supplies. You know, he can't be a miner also, perhaps. It's better he... Yeah, you know, so everything has a practical way to it. And the trail, of course, the most free, the farmers, the fishermen, you know, the most free class. Yeah. Uh, with With the formation of the Templars being earlier than what is what is known, um, and then like the Templars that we know being around the eleven hundreds, mm. and and working for the church to, uh, I guess the the basis was to help people escape out of Jerusalem, <laughs> or of like a a road to protect them. But then you see what happens at the end is the church ends up crucifying or yeah, burning, at, burning at the stake these Templars uh, because they say they're actually blasphemous and they are uh, basically they're, they're heathens and so they, they kill them off. So does, it, does that play into that too? Or Yes, of course. But, uh, you know, this is just uh, the biggest incursion against the Templars is... Uh, <clears throat> the French Revolution and the Russian Revolution. There is a really one inquisition against Templars and Freemasons. They really wanted to uh, at least take uh, take off the the head, you know. Really to, I think that was happened in total, you know, to gain control over the networks because there's like a there's like the ceiling. It's so secretive, so. If you can take control over that uh, upper, you know, mm-hmm. then the lower shouldn't even notice. Yeah. So I think that's what's, what's going on. And this uh, thing that happened, uh, when the famous story, the Friday the 13th there, you know, it's, yeah. uh, I don't know too much about it, but I know that <coughs> in Sweden, this is an unlucky day. It's not yeah. a happy day. It's a sad day. And uh, that's when they burned the Templars. They burned yeah, but it's just Friday a couple, you know. It's I don't know what happened there, but I know that they worked on the no- the nose nose of the of this uh, papacy, and uh, I'm sure that they did things that they are not proud of, mm-hmm. just to keep the cover, perhaps. Uh, but uh, of, uh, you can clearly see the effects of what happened after yeah. the French Revolution that triggered a series of events. And uh, the most curious thing about, like, for example, the Russian Revolution is that this Trotsky and those Lenin, you know, they called Trotsky the king of the Jews. Really? I mean, it's Jews. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but I'm just mentioning it i mean it's uh and sweden was there financing those revolutionaries also it's uh 
but we sort of lost Sweden uh, with the because we were the only ones who went against Napoleon with Gustav the Fourth. Yeah, and uh, he, the the rest of the councilmen here in Sweden, they had to uh, let him go because uh, they thought it was a foolish war to go against Napoleon. <laughs> Sort hmm. of it was, but uh, yeah. Well, so we lost well, the Vasa kings, uh, like the 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 the, the king line that uh, the Templar king line, and we, now we got this French weird kind of strange, you know, some kind of low, not even a, a, a you know, it, it was some kind of just a just a nobody really. And he got to be king of Sweden, and his uh, his uh, lineage has been continuing all the way to till today. So a lot has happened. To I think Sweden was one of the first to really lose their integrity in a, in that sense in here in the north, because the Russians they lasted all the way to the you know the Soviet the First World War. Or, with the, the revolutions there in Russia, really, they killed the, their Tsar, you know. And mm-hmm. he was one of the heads of the Templar Order. Oh. He was uh, one of the heads to the entire order, this Tsar uh, Nicholas II. That's why they have the double-headed eagle on their flag, and because he's one of the heads. I, I thought the double-headed eagle is related to... Like the Roman Catholics. That's not true. I don't know what game they are playing, but this uh, double-headed eagle, uh, it symbolizes the, the two heads of the of this order, of the Knights Templars. Oh. I'm really sure that, uh, you know, the Romans, they were also heathen up to the year 300. Yeah. But it collapsed with some kind of revolutionary... Uh, thing probably yeah. like they used in France so it's uh, it collapsed and because this Colosseum is not a church it's a it's a Templar it's a rusty mm-hmm. it's a circus it's a hidden structure to do performance like theater and different cultural uh, events mm-hmm. it's not I can only see that it's after the heathen age they started to use it to butcher people in for sport. So, so like this gives me like feelings that maybe the other side, the non-heathen side, the non-Templar and Masonic side, the whatever you want to call them, the Jesuits or the Roman Catholic Church are using symbolism of like 33 and Freemasonry to kind of try to give them a bad name to seem like it's them that's creating all the problems in the world. And really it's kind of like, you know, like, you know, you're like, you, you're leaving the clues behind to try to get the other person captured, you know? Uh, because I think they like want to take the system and drive into a rock wall with it because yeah. it's a system that are made for hierarchy and uh, 
to play that game, you need to become like your enemy almost mm-hmm. in their eye. I mean, it's like a, yeah, it's the thirty-three, a, the thirty-three symbolism, and you see, you know, the the different like the pyramid, the skull, the skull and bones, the all-seeing yeah. eye. Yeah, the pyramid is really one all, one awesome. Because they oh. cut it, it's actually because they cut the top part, so it becomes like an A. Uh, it's this hierarchy. Oh, it's an A. Yeah. Oh. Uh, because the top of the pyramid is really the A ser, <laughs> the A ser. Ser means to see in in Swedish. Mm. A ser. And a seer. A ser. Yeah. A ser. The A ser sees. Like a, a seer too is somebody that can look into the future or uh, yes. like a fortune teller. Yeah. For, fortuna. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's actually that's what it is. I mean And tuna, what's that what's that tuna place? A snapper uh, tuna. Snapper tuna, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tuna. Yeah. Tuna. Yeah, it's a... What do you think that the Templars found uh buried underneath uh the temple in Jerusalem. I have no idea. There's actually a story about it's Moses also. Uh, Moses in the box. So if you haven't heard that one, you know, this, uh, this character. Yeah. Yeah. Moses. Uh, yeah. She also come from Finland, of course. So it's a female. Yeah. Morses, okay. they call her. And she went down there and wanted to help the, the rabbis back to Udenma. Or the mm-hmm. Holy Land. But she didn't really got there and just stopped and said, this is it uh, on the way. <laughs> it's kind of like the story in the Bible of Moses. God takes him to the promised land, shows him the promised land, and then uh, I guess he dies like right there. <laughs> yeah, it's something yeah. like, it's not that uh, he's dying, but it's also like this, uh, you know, she... She, uh, the circumcision story also comes with this because she's a female ruler of the Jews now, of the rabbis. Mm-hmm. And uh, because uh, she wanted the, the males to become uh, less uh, sensitive when they are having sex. So uh-huh. she put, uh, cut the uh, foreskin away so they could last much longer, you know. It's a it's a for the female, hmm. so, so they yeah. so the man can become the carrot for them, uh, for the woman, so to speak. Yeah, <laughs> like a deal to please her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's basically what we do now. Yeah, <laughs> so they could be like a hidden, uh, like a. <clears throat> this is something I I'm really curious about if there's like a a hidden ruler within you the jewish society mm-hmm. that is a female ah. could be uh, because uh, i know michael Tassarian talks about this female illuminati oh really because there's a lodge down there in uh, france that uh, came along uh not so it's a i try to research this lodge but it it comes from the a little bit before the french revolutions at least it's called the Seven Sisters Lodge. Yeah. And in Templarism, there is 
no females allowed, even still today. So yeah. it's it's nothing that has to do with the Templar uh, structure. It's, it's a the... men gentleman club only. There's no female allowed. So why is there a lodge down there in France called the Seven Six uh, Seven Sisters? I mean, it's a, or the Six Sisters. It could be yeah, seven or six. I um well it's probably seven the seven hills the seven there's always seven hills and everything too seven layers um yeah there's a lot well, of seven, seven some... continents and and where i live in california there's a a a bunch of volcanoes and they call them the seven sisters and it's the okay. seven volcanoes that are around this area it could be Either, but it's still interesting that they. It yeah. sounds like a, a female. Well, club. well, if it was the hidden hand and the hidden hand was female, that would be pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, Going but, off but to that the patriarchy. Kinda... The patriarchy. It's obviously right? the Templar network. <laughs> yeah. Of course. That's weird. Yeah, it's so obvious. And now we're going to have female rulers. I mean, I'm not saying it's bad or I'm not even engaging mm-hmm. in that debate, but I, I, it's nice to look back in the historical and see because you have the faucet in hand, like we said. You have the, the answers. Well, in, in the heathen uh, paradigm, they did worship females. So. Yeah, it's 50-50 in that. Yeah. But uh, they that- had different aspects. One r- really interesting aspect that I think is that you know, when the speeches are being written or made, it's the females who make the stories and it's the male who pronounces it or, you know, acting it out huh. in the, in the, in the rusty. Yeah. So because of the male vocal cords can uh, speak much louder than the female. So it will echo in the acoustique. Or the acoustic. Aka. Acoustic. Yeah. Oh my God. I never noticed that one before. <laughs> uh, like I heard the academia one and, you know, academia, but I never heard acoustic. Um, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's just uh, amazing because, yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, it's uh, maybe something that the female Illuminati illuminates also. They are hmm. like the hidden hand writing the stories and the male yeah. is uh, projected, you know. Ooh, so. that's interesting. That's fine. Yeah. It's in the psychology, you know. Yeah. Uh, there's something I always get tripped up on in Box Saga that I think kind of relates to this, too, is the rabbi. Uh, Robbie. Yeah, the Robbie. Yeah, but it's in, the root in, word for it. Robbie. In, in Jewish... Uh, you know, blue system, they call it a rabbi. Yeah, rabbi. Uh, it's spelled exactly the same. Yeah, it's, it's just pronounced a little different, but it's the, yeah. it's the king's bee, you know. <laughs> the king's what? Bee is one. His pollinator, right? Yeah, rabbi. Yeah, so what, what, son, what son in the succession is the rabbi? The rabbi, he is not in the, in the author like that. Oh, he's he, he is one, you know, the rabbis are coming to Udenma and exchanging with the, the Bok. But oh, they're they also, coming from the other kingdoms? 
Yeah, from the Ringlands. Oh. Okay. But uh, they, you know, they have their place in the Ringlands. But the Robbies are like the high priest in these other places? Uh, there's actually kingdoms? two sides to it. I think they more represent the uh, the sun book. Okay. Or the, or the you know, this uh, procreator. Because yeah. they, in turn, are pollinating in their ringlands. Because they have been exchanging uh, seed with, uh, with, uh, with lemminkind. Okay. But there's also another... Uh, like one representing or mimicking uh, what the king, the rod does also. It's uh, right. yeah, it's uh, I'm not really, I'm not really sure to be honest, like the exact details on that. But the rabi ex- exchanging with Lemminkainen that I know with in the in the Lemminkainen temple, but they are also helping out with the with the honeymoon, I think. <laughs> The what? The honeymoon. The honeymoon yeah. yeah. With the Disas that are coming to Udama. Because uh, if uh, this Lemminkainen would do the honeymoon with all those girls, here yeah, there will be no balls left. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. So there are all these bizarre. Uh, the honeymoon. Yeah, you also have this. Like this secretary, you know, this title is to. Maybe to just watch that that the balls go upright or something, you know. It's <laughs> it's I don't know, man. It's it's so much you can go into with the with the details in this yeah. in these but matters. It's so, it's so interesting because I think that procreation system played such a big role in like the BC era of time uh, before the church, you know, started taking over. Because a lot of the temples that we see in ancient times are heathen temples. They're not, uh, you know, yes. Temple. church temples. Yeah. That, that's why they're called te- Knights Templars. We say Temperidare. And uh, Riddare is one military guy from the uh-huh. heathen system. Like Knights and Riddare is the same thing. The word for Knight is Riddare. And the uh, temple is one temple. So mm-hmm. it's like the temple ridder. Knights Templars. But you yeah. could just say knights knights of the temple or temple knights. Yeah. It's the same. So, so wh- why do yeah. you think they built these ring structures like uh you know Stonehenge, for example? Why why do they build them this way? <laughs> There's actually one story about the stone, the stone uh, aspect. Because when you go around here in uh, Sweden or Finland, you can find huge, huge stones that are like balanced. On yeah, the they're like hang- they're like. Is that yeah. where that big old like huge ass boulder is that's sitting on top of like a another rock? It's yeah, a really yeah. small one, but it's just like balancing and it's huge. yeah it's stuff like that in it's the forest a, yeah th- this seems to be like some kind of sunday activity just for fun <laughs> or something you know Stacking it's uh, stones. yeah but they have some kind of knowledge with sound how to they yeah. use they use sound and they use some kind of oil 
and they used this kind of round stone that uh, that were coming from the ice age to make like passageways so they could they made like huh. pa- so pathways with small rounder stones and then they put some kind of oil on it and then they used frequency to sort of just easily push them on those tracks so they're kind of like uh, accelerators or i don't know uh, i I haven't tried it out but this is what i heard wi-fi like a ancient wi-fi i don't know man they use sound i think they would be chanting and uh, if you try it out some kind of frequencies make for example copper to vibrate but like like yeah it was like a connection point though is what i'm saying like you know if you vibrate it can only go 10 meters but you need uh so you have to put one of these balls at like say right at the 10 meters so it can connect to the next one that's another 10 meters away so that way you can get the resonance to go through the whole thing i would i would try to i would try it out if i could Because they find a lot of these uh, balls everywhere, uh, these round balls. They find them buried. Yeah, but, and, you, you uh, know, I, like I heard, it's just regular round stones that uh, are polished by the ice. Oh, okay. That are in rows here. Uh, oh. This kind of uh, Atlantis stone, this kind of round polished uh, glacier stone become like a sacred thing. They make mounds with it and they... Yeah, they pile them and they do all kind of things and and the one thing they did was to move those huge stones with just uh, sound and uh, mm-hmm. other rocks and some kind of glue or uh, oil. So glue I don't know oil glue. The Native Americans talk about uh, the star people giving them glue to uh, build build their structures. But they say it came from the birds. Yeah. The bird people. The bird could be a symbol of uh, across the ocean. Oh. Because only the only the birds maybe wander that far. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting too cuz the native americans had like the big headdresses with the feathers, right? You yeah. know, like uh, the bird people uh uh, yeah, so, but this uh, is so. Uh, for one culture, the bird people could be one thing. You know, this is. Uh, yeah. Th- this is the thing about the symbology. You need to know so much about the culture and history, and you know, you need to be a real fucking martial artist with the information. <laughs> well, well, to me, it seems like so when when the uh, when the people when the North people came out of the ice after the ice age and, and 10,000 BC, it seems like they came down and went to these different uh, places where the other 10 Kings were and kind of uh, restarted civilization and gave them new knowledge to, it seems like they gave them uh, ways to farm, how to farm, like till the ground to grow crops and they find like these seeds that are were like created by humans uh, that are, are like they're like super seeds, but they yeah. it comes from the time period when they shouldn't even have barely known how to even crop in the first place. So it, yeah, there's a story about that also. Like uh, you know, there there are t- twelve boys, 
within this uh, with this author uh, family. And uh, really, there's just uh, the firstborn and the lastborn that needs a title, mm-hmm. or you know, with this uh, representing uh, moon and sun. But the others, you know, I'm just thinking that. Uh, because sometimes there were also more than 12 boys and they could become like ambassadors or they didn't have a function within the Bok family. You know? Yeah. So of course they would, if you're going to make a family of 12 boys and seven sisters, there's going to be a lot of extras, I think. <laughs> so Indeed. it could either be maybe one or two, or some of this uh, ten tin tio brothers in between, but I would doubt it. But uh, uh, if there was some extra coming out, tight ten could be some. But I think T- actually that Jim mentioned that uh, those ten brothers went out to the ten tropical races. Yeah, yeah. So it it must have been a very special occasion to do so because they had a function within the within the Osser family, but. Maybe they thought it was so important to try to reestablish the the repairing or repairing of the offering. So mm. they uh, had gifts with them, and but they didn't bring the cow at this point because they thought it would be dangerous or something. But this agriculture would <coughs> help to. Uh, start civilization or uh, cities and this kind of cultural uh, uh, center points mm-hmm. it's, a, it's the foundation to build a city you need agriculture to build a, a bigger city to make it efficient people. yeah exactly so, so uh, I think that was like the first step but they didn't, I, I don't know if they managed to establish some kind of offering or with the other tropical races. Uh, I don't know. Uh, well, but that's they, what I'm saying. for what, sure what, it backlashed. What it seems like when you, when you hear about the stories of the Anunnaki, for example, you see it seems like there's these gods that are going around and kind of reseeding the peoples like telling giving them information about uh you know art and music and celestial celestial stuff and how to farm and all these things that they need to know to learn how to live again because uh, a catastrophe just happened and Mm -hmm. uh and and it kind of seems like that with you know the ice breaking and and then being able to come out of the from the ice and and then um, seeing them as these enlightened people that came from the ice and have all this new knowledge that the world didn't have yet. And because you, you kind of see it, every, every civilization has some sort of story of where these people came to help them rebuild their civilization again. And it kind of seems like that's, that's what it was, is the people that came from the Acer after the ice cracked they were able to go out and reseed and give everybody new information about how to uh, just continue on civilization. Yeah. It's sort of what I think also, you know, it's, uh, 
Because I know that uh, those tropical kings, they had started to develop another kind of king system. And Sven and Dan went with the same as mm-hmm. the tropical kingdoms does. Also, that you have, you know, the firstborn son is, he is the king. Is the king, yeah. And the procurator. So yeah, it's but sort he of, became both, though. Yes. So this is what the, it, the author who had been living in the ice in trapped isolation, they always stayed with the old heathen system with the, mm-hmm. a moon king and a sun king. Sort of. Or they call it the moon goat. The moon goat and the sun goat. But now the tropical kings had gone rid of the moon king. Like you see in the, in Egypt, also with the Ramses, or the they represent the sun. Yeah. Ra becomes yeah. the sun. It's a, perv- a perversion, you could say. It's like Lucifer. Lucifer yeah. becoming uh, God. Yeah, becoming the wrong God. <laughs> yeah, because he's supposed to be the moon and he becomes the sun. Yeah, he, he, he the... should represent the moon on Earth. This uh, yeah. this firstborn, but anyway, that that's what uh, I don't know what they're trying to reestablish there, but some kind of offering system, and yeah, in the, in the long term, that would make them one race again, I think, but maybe not. What, what do you do? You know anything about the the pine cone and the handbag? Oh, I seen that in the Sumerian with the handbag there, but I'm the thinking they said. Uh, I know that they were taking a lot of ash in uh, in bags in different formats uh, okay. because uh, it could have been an ash bag because yeah. the people wasn't sure if the soul went back to Valhalla anymore during the late Ice Age or the Ice Age at all. So I think that's why they mummified people and you know really wanted to preserve the body so it could be burnt later. Because oh. they really w- wanted to go back to the like the halls of Amenti in the in the Egyptian lore, it's very, yeah. very, very similar to the Finnish Valhalla concept. And I think oh. even the Tibet has this uh, something. It's very similar to this. Uh, they went through all these halls in Shambhala. Ship. Yeah, it's some kind of book of the dead. I think it's called that they yeah, have, that explains it. Yeah. But it's very similar that it has to do with the underworld going through like challenges or different passages yeah. there. And Isn't that Valhalla just the, hero- is the same thing. So, because in the word Valhalla, you have the hallway, the hall, uh-huh. halls of choosing. You could render Valhalla. Oh. So it's, um, I think this is why. You can see the seed bags, but it could be ash bags also that they were bringing up to the north to be put on the trees there because it could have higher hope of, uh, you know, getting, uh, reaching Valhalla. And then from a Bach saga perspective, what do you think the pine cone would be? Because obviously a pine cone comes from a pine tree and trees being a big part of, you know, 
kind of the box saga system. I, I think it has to do with Ukko and the All Father uh, pagan system uh, with this uh, because uh, this Christmas tree, yeah, is uh, a reference to the All Father also Ukko, and you have oh, yeah. the lights around it. You know, it's and the, often the star with the North Star seven point yeah, star, North star. yeah you yep. see you have everything there with the, it's a it's a symbolical term and the offshoot is this it could be a reference to the author seed or the mm-hmm. or the nordic scandinavian people could be mm. i don't know it's a uh, it's just uh, my symbolical mind talking now yeah that's why you put uh like I heard the tree story from uh, the Babylon Nimrod story. Have you heard that one before? No, not so used to the Sumerians. Oh, N- N- Nimrod. So Nimrod was a god in Babylon, and he was trying to get um, uh, closer to the sun. Um, some, something happened. He died, and uh, they buried... Uh, some some trees were cut down. So I can't remember everything exactly, but basically a sapling sprouts up from a tree and it's a pine tree. And then they say that this is Nimrod uh, sprouting back up and trying to reach the sun again. And so when they when he did this, people would go out into the, the pine forest and they would leave offerings for Nimrod at, at the base of the tree. And that's like the idea of the Christmas presents and stuff like that. Okay. And and um, uh, and so they would go out there to leave offerings to the god. And that's where you get the idea of the Christmas presents. And like hanging the little uh, uh, like symbols basically on the tree itself is like the symbolism of, of these gifts too. It's a... This uh, Babylonian is very interesting because I think it can be uh, pretty much similar to the Egyptian story there, but mm-hmm. there was some kind of problem, so they asked for help in hell, and mm. uh, and uh, they established some kind of uh, dynasty down there that was uh, a ruling class that was author or. Uh, of the white people coming down there mm. and aiding in the bureaucracy, you could say, or in the leadership. And the same thing could have been happening there in in Babylon because they, they have been fighting so much against those early religious forces down there in Babylon. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, this uh, Nebuchadnezzar backwards yeah. become uh, Ras and the Gubben, which is like <laughs> really angry old man, it means in Swedish. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, it sounds like it means a grilled man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like but... Ebenezer, Ebenezer Scrooge uh, was a cranky old guy from Christmas Carol, which actually has an interesting connotation to exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, but they have Christmas been fighting. The Christmas tree. They have been fighting so much down there. You know, this is like the front line between the religious forces and the more heathen forces. So the yeah. battlefield has been down there at first, and we can see how it has been coming up eventually. And now we are reaching a point when they have been taking over almost everything. Yeah, I think so. 
when we look at the Freemasons now, a lot of people will think that they're the ones that are in charge of the Illuminati or they're the NWO. Do you, how, how do you break that down? Because I, I kind of go back and forth like maybe these people are fucked up. Maybe these people are not really fucked up. Maybe people just are interpreting it in the wrong way. I don't uh, know. I think it's a, a little bit of a collapse perhaps from inside today, but as I see yeah. it, it has been some kind of infiltration. Yeah. And, uh, kind of like what we were talking about earlier with the, uh, the Jesuits using the symbolism yeah. of the Templars to suggest that it's them, even though it's not yeah. to give the illusion that it's somebody else doing. Yeah. I think that it's a, Past like the 1700s, 1800s, you know, of course there are good people all the time and bad people all the time. It it just depends on what fence you're on. But uh, since the internet era, I think there has been an awakening also within, from inside a little bit, perhaps. Hmm. Uh, I mean, the internet is a, a weird, very weird internet uh, obstacle yeah <laughs> that couldn't have been foreseen i think uh because it's on uh it's a western invention also uh, i think internet was destiny i think so too it came out internet came online uh the same year as eeyore made his story yeah uh, his, internet internet pretty much imitates life Yes, it's a, it's the best platform. It's a, I, I've been always like voting for the. I've been voting one time in my life, and it was I gave a vote to the pirate party that uh, are raising question of, about the internet and the freedom of speech on the internet. I think that yeah. has been the most important question of all our age, you know, as being uh, born and raised in this more technological era. Because it's it's such a web, you know. If if they can yeah. make a, take a control over the internet, we're we're, you know. Oh man, <laughs> I don't look. I don't like the looks on that. You know, it's it has been getting bad already with censorship mm-hmm, and all this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, but it, so it, uh, like, like in the saga, you know, it's already kind of insinuated that uh the bach line is the devil line the line of the devil yeah and and the satan and but it seems to me that that kind of gets construed sometime sometimes into being something that's really evil yes but But, this is the thing you have those draconian uh ways you know, they uh, it, it's it's like a branch of this nefarious entity, or what do we mm-hmm. call it? They they want to uh, be the authority on the history and the culture of a yeah. people. For example, with this Viking uh, blood sacrificing style thing that they are portraying, it's hundred percent controlled by this uh, draconian order uh institutionalized mm-hmm. uh, secret uh, thing you know it's a so they are becoming like the ones that are projecting the 
you know, it's it becomes almost like a trap for those who wants to seek the truth and who wants to, you know, go back to the roots. Yeah. And this becomes a problem when also that is controlled. It's like control opposition is a good word for it, I think. Yeah. Uh, I can see it also happening a little bit in America with Alex Jones there and you know I don't I don't know it's if it results in more violence and pumping up people to become angry I think it's not good because what they ultimately wants is to get a conflict uh, between you know this divide and conquer is a really effective way we never had some kind of revolution here in Sweden I think they really want to pin the Swedes to, uh, against the Muslims because it's such a yeah it's, it's such a divided society already yeah well they've done it here already with yeah. uh, 9-11 yeah that's right, too they... but you your civil war was not so I mean that's uh, that's something also the civil that, war uh, that the, the civil war that you had a couple 200 years ago you know? yeah yeah with the English yeah, this is uh, this is the kind of thing that they want to stir up. I think ultimately, uh. because they did the same thing there in uh, in Russia and, and France, and you know it's an old tactic. So, uh, but those uh, draconian orders, uh, they are like the control opposition. I think, and it inf- inf- you know infiltrates the minds of of the Swedes and the original Swedes and. How so they who, vote and all of this, you know, it's so much anger and frustration without any solutions. Who do you think the people are behind the draconian agenda then? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> I used to stick to talk about like 17, 1800 at, at yeah. most, but I mean, I think it's the same forces that, uh, you know, I think it's the same type of forces that has been winning. And uh, decimating, you know, it's a, they have been succeeding so well in in uh, folk mood or uh, what they call it, uh, mass murder. Yeah. You know, over thirty million people died in the in the Soviet Union, and it's just European people, and most of them, you know, died in battle. The the young men and all of this. Already, you can see it's a uh, they are pulling. European brothers against each other and uh, mass murder in su- in millions and millions and those uh, radio uh, you know with the, the this the, what, what they call it the Chernobyl accident you know mm-hmm. most of the radiation was raining down here in Sweden and mm-hmm. it was almost like the, they wanted it to happen it's uh, it's just so much nefarious things they want to exterminate the the western people i think totally if you want to be like that but uh, i mean there are good forces also at work i think otherwise we would be totally i meet good people all the time yeah do you think do you think the masonic force is a good force or is it kind of half and half or it has been a good force if it's the right head it's like any leadership it's a two-edged sword. Yeah. It, it, the Western world is built on leadership. I mean, it's uh, that, that's what we come from. 
we are very structured and organized. Like the heathen world was much more structured and organized than the religious world, I would say. It's a, it's a thing it's of the more West. natural, though, is about nature and living with nature yeah. instead of the materialistic ideals of, you know, ownership and, uh, yes. and uh, everything like that that comes with the, the Catholic Church. Also, like the brotherness or this type of uh, that you can love your people. I mean, it's uh, there's no concept in the Bible of, uh, you know, Jesus is the king, but he's dead. So where's the authority? <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's a symbolical term. He's the That's he's the true. slain king, and he's the he's the one we are praying on. You know, a dead guy we are consulting now instead yeah. of the living king. I always kind of thought the idea of Jesus dying for the sins of the people was in a way sort of a psyop to make people just feel like they could do whatever they wanted to do and then repent for it later. A little bit, is it like kind of because... kind of like I can, I can go sin all I want and go be a fucking total douche. Uh, as long as I go uh, ask for forgiveness on Sunday and then back on yeah. Monday, I can start drinking and fucking do whatever the fuck I want again. And as long as I go back on Sunday and ask for forgiveness, I'm good. You it's know, like, it's like a perpetuation of these evil uh, ideas in a, in a way, or these uh, unnatural ways to do. Yeah, it's like live. in this. Uh, if you play Red Dead Redemption Two, you can just go and massacre a fucking town, yeah. and then you go to the lawman or the post office in another town and just pay off the bounty. <laughs> and then you're good to go. I mean, is that America in a nutshell or what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's not America. I wouldn't say it's America. It's religion. Yeah. And, but the religion has infected America yes. to the point where to where everything has to be about religion now. Like even in, in courtrooms, you swear on a Bible and like yes. you know, everything is is even like they try to work it into politics and into school and everything like that. But it, it, it's supposed to be separate yet. Every time there we have a president, they always talk about what religion he is or, you know, like Biden's a Catholic and Trump was a Christian and all this other shit. It's, it's always uh, has some religious context to it. Uh, even though we're supposed to be a country that's, free of religion and have our own choice and belief system but it's in the constitution perhaps i think yeah it just is just to make a comment on a religion you know religion in itself is not too bad actually i think uh, what happened i think the templars really hijacked the religion but they call it the protestant instead oh. and uh -huh. uh, this type of uh, christianity you know is a more evolved it's a, a religion can evolve and it can uh, reform. It It's an entity that can be used and it can uh, even evolve into some kind of, you know, more nature aligned also uh, during time. You know, these kind of matters are so big. Uh, so it needs perhaps hundreds of years to develop. And this is the kind of... Uh, things that i think the templars would have been discussion uh, you know because it's a the templar order or the knights templar is also like one entity that lives on 
So things that they conclude or agendas can last for hundreds of years mm. with this kind of structure. So I think that's what's happened. So now they are anti-Christianity. The Swedish church is actually something to, I am really proud of because it's uh, founded by the Vasa kings and it uh, laid the foundation of the world that we have today with this kind of soft version Christianity. You know, it's mm-hmm. a more of a cultural forge or it's a, you know, it's a more, uh, it's a developed version of the Catholic church, I would mm-hmm. say. Because the first thing you need to change before you can, like I've seen how Christianity do. First, they take over the information system and then they come with the taxes. So uh, with the church, it's a big information system, uh, really. Uh, And uh, the Vasa kings, for example, they use the churches for information hubs like one rusty, like before, they used it, uh, you know, they collected all the gold and silver and metals and you stripped the churches clean. Even the bells made, you know, they made candles out of their bells, and, you know, because the Germans were going after them really hard because they kicked the bishop out, you know, this uh, Roman Catholic empire. But anyway, it's uh, what I'm saying is that uh, religion is actually uh, something that, uh, if it's used in the ro- right way, I think it's uh, it's uh, it's better to have it than not to have it. I think yeah. some kind of institution, and uh, because it's so cultural, and we have we have been having it for so long. So, I mean, to have a cultureless like in Sweden today, it's so much anarchists and communists and whatever new age ideas. They are, you know, they're so fragmented and people mm-hmm. become very isolated and oh. the unity of people are really in the information a lot. And internet has that backside also because people can become really like what do you call them? Like uh, radical. Yeah. In, in many ways. And I have a lot of friends who have become very radical. And it's mostly because of information. But uh, yeah, it's a very philosophical question with this uh, Christianity thing. But I just say it's a. Uh, I think there was some kind of development to, to it uh, that uh, yeah, obviously it, it became like so. So it's a. Uh, in some cases, it's worth protecting, actually. I, especially if you look at Sweden and what happened, because this, the church is so weak here. And uh, you can see how it has been leading people to a very unnatural, unlogical way of thinking also, you know. I don't know, it has to do a lot with the hyper, you know... We, we, the internet is uh, the television you know all this I don't know it's just uh, yeah, it's something to think about uh, because it's very hard to replace 
without it getting like it uh, become here in Sweden, you need to have some kind of unifying information system to have some kind of glue in society. <laughs> yeah. So we're about at, at the two hour mark. So I have, uh, I wanted to get into one more little uh, conversation with you. Um, Cause we're kind of, we're kind of talking about Freemasonry and the Templars and, and this Jesuit order off to the side, like, you know, this, this, uh, um, what's it called? Uh, well, the, uh, opposing force. What's that called? Um, I, I, I would say uh, it's the Templars versus the assassins. Oh, okay. So you don't even think it's the Jesuits. You think it's assassins. Well, it's just a a movie title phrase. Okay, but so when we go into the America aspect of it um, and Napoleon and like the French Revolution and everything in this era, what, what you see is um, like the Templars or the freemasons i guess uh, you see the freemasons coming to america to establish like a new civilization they they're trying to get away from the reformation in europe of of the church and come to america to establish a freedom of believing whatever you want i think it's, it's the templars work uh, with George Washington. Yeah, exactly. George Washington was also a Mason. A lot yes. of the founding fathers were Masons. The Grand Marshal of Sweden was standing behind George Washington. Yeah, but it also helping. seems like it got corrupted at some point. Yes, yes. Because it has seemed to take in a, a totally different... From the top. There's a guy yes. you should put an interview on. Uh, if you want to ask about the Masons and this in, in America. Uh, he he did a uh, show on Enslaved, and he has written a book I call, I think it's called Patriots Reborn or something like that. Hmm. It's an American guy uh, who uh, has written this book. But he mentioned that uh, the top, the top uh, of the lodges, was uh, infiltrated from top. Yeah. So because, because uh, Roman had mentioned when we were talking to somebody else, he said, you know, it seems like they came to America to enact all these, you know, rules and blah, 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 and to control us. But it seems like if the Masons came here to do all that, then why did they give us the freedom of religion? And why did they allow exactly. us to have guns? And protect exactly. ourselves from from a government that they I knew think, were probably going to try won. to take us over. I think they, I think the the founding fathers, as they say, with George Washington and the, the Declaration of Independence and all of this, this is must be the work of the of the of the Knights Templars. I think, yeah, because it's uh, very uh, this Grand Marshal is the highest title you can have, and even Gustav the Third who was a remarkable man himself, he listened to this Axel von Fashion. And this Axel von Fashion, he went to America to support George Washington. And he mm. 
really made a mark of himself there when he uh, there was a battle one of the most uh, important battles during the civil war and he was uh, the leading like commander of, of the forces there mm-hmm. and they won and it sort of was the this battle was like the it's iconical if i knew it uh, I, i'm sure a lot of you guys would, would it would ring a bell you know but yeah uh, but anyway and he was a, a very high ranked freemason or knights templar this uh, axel von fashion that was aiding george washington and this was the height of the swedish empire also so he was a great power in sweden during this time and you got the dollar and we have the, the we had the dollar the dollar was the gold back currency mm-hmm. that we have so we we, ca- we call it svenska riksdaler but you have dollar only. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. a, just a little tweak, but it's the same concept because you had a gold back currency and Sweden also had gold back currency. So it's like a, a copy almost of the, also the constitution, of course, is a, your own constitution. It's a stuff, but it's very, very similar to what Sweden looked like during this time. Interesting. Yeah. So on the back of our dollar too, it says New World Order and has the All Seeing Eye Pyramid. Yeah. But do you think that's a connection? That's later. Is that later? I don't know. I don't know. You should research it. uh, Yeah. uh, When this when they started to use it, but I know that uh, during the French uh, Russian Revolution, there's a bank uh, in in uh, in America called Kuhn and Loeb. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a bank in uh, America that funded the re- revolutionaries and they arrived in Stockholm and uh, was uh, later financed by a bank in Sweden called uh, Svenska Storbanken, I think. And mm-hmm. it's run by some families that are still prominent today. But the point is that uh, this bank from America and Sweden helped, uh, it, you know, Sweden became the base of operation for the revolutionary forces in Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Sweden helped uh, these uh, guys from America to create this uh, revolution in uh, Russia. And all the gold that was coming from Russia came to Sweden to be melted down and probably sent back to America. So I think America, you know, is such a large country and perhaps there are different kind of forces that has been battling inside of America mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, all this type of gang, you know, the mafia films and all of this uh, gives a pretty good insight in how it's really the mob that is running yeah. because you can see the nice Templars also and like the... one mob. Okay. I mean, it's just gangs. If you want to look at it uh, that way. Yeah. I, I kind of associate the mob with the, the Roman Catholic church because uh, yeah, a, lot of, a lot of mobs. the people in the, a lot of people in the mob are, uh, yeah, there is, uh, Italian though. But, uh, yeah. But when we think of mob, we think of the Italian mob. But there's also the Irish Irish mob, yeah. too. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there are many facets. It's just not so black and white uh, when it turned bad or good. 
it's more uh, America is such a free country. And I think it was founded because they knew they wouldn't last against those forces. So they had to make some kind of experimental uh, fucking uh-huh. haywire or something. You it's know, like, when, oh yeah, when, go ahead, go go take over America, and then we're, we'll be there a little bit later after you did all the groundwork, and then we'll just take you over and yeah, take you, it over. But Amer- America is some, you know, I quite admire Americans. You know, it's a, I mean, the people there is fantastic, but what they do in wars, you know, it's your economy is totally bound to wars and all of this. So I, you know, it's yeah. a. We all but agree you, with you. <laughs> yeah, but you can't take personal responsibility over that. You know, it has been uh, a victim, or not a victim, but, you know, you have the history with the Inca, Aztec, and, and those kind of empires that, the, mm-hmm. you know, America is built on top. It's it's just a, it's just a Stock, mess, man. <laughs> it's just a... Stock, Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. We, a little bit, but uh, that's more... <laughs> you just want to save your skin, we, you know? We, uh, a lot of the country still loves their oppressors that yeah. have the victim mentality. That's what it is though. It's, we, we started off talking about Stockholm and there you go. Mm-hmm. Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. I, I think it's, it really comes from, you know, it has many facets to it, but uh, we are sort of accepted this French King and, you know, the story, it could be propaganda and so also, but I think it's some kind of, it's a story about some hostage and the, the girl fell in love with the oppressor or something like that. It's a, hmm. I don't know, man. It's just, it seems to be a reoccurring story. I think it's a, often a smart move when you know that you can work, you know, it's a, it's a behavior that the Templars would use. I think this Stockholm syndrome, you know, it's better to, yeah. It's better to draw back into the shadows and work from the dark, you know. And that's the sweet, a little bit in the Swedish mentality still today, you know. Don't say hmm. much. Very quiet, but work their asses off in the in the dark, you know. It can be anything: a table, a music project, or whatever taking over the world. Conspiracy? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, oftentimes, you know, you hear uh, conspiracy theorists will also talk about uh, that they use, like, magic or some type of dark magic to... uh, Music is magic. Poetry, books, all this uh, that can put an idea or sow a seed in someone's brain is just magic, man. Yeah. Symbolism. Mm -hmm. But I think it has to do also with like ancestral memory. And so, you know, you have some kind of behavior that is just born with you or it's a, it's a spiritual, it's in the spirit world almost, you know, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a laganda we call it. It's a team spirit. It's something that lives on within the, the, the team or the continuation. I don't know. It's just a, we can say in Gustav Adolf Anda, like in the spirit of Gustav Adolf, like in his vision or his, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a, um, it's a spiritual thing. Yeah. So did you have uh, any, any more things to add? Is there anything else that we didn't <laughs> really bring up about this whole story that you think is important? I probably um, would have 
500 more topics we can talk about. <laughs> because one one aspect I, I was trying to get to is the whole Tartaria thing, uh, because they believe that there were structures in America that were built a long time ago. And it kind of seems to me like maybe these uh, structures were uh, Masonic in a way because they were the ancient builders. They were the keepers of the information of the archaeology or the architecture, you know, yeah. uh, the arc uh, knowledge. The Ark uh, of the Covenant. Ark of the Covenant, yeah. The, everything. Everything is the Ark, right? The Arctic people. Uh, so... To me, they are the ones that are the keepers of the knowledge of, of, of building um, yes. these structures. And perhaps maybe they were actually here before uh, 1600s or or around the 1600s in building, maybe, possibly. What, what do you think about that? In America? Whole? Yes, in America. I don't know. I know that, uh, you know, especially the religious forces, they like to build by stone. Yeah. So they can burn the fucking village down and they have their little temple there ah. or their church or lodge or whatever. Because that's uh, the heathen people or the pagans, they use most wood in their construction. So, but of course, there are some, uh, some things that are built by stone, but uh, it's often uh, integrated into some kind of, you don't want to, they didn't want to, to mess around too much with the bedrock and cutting stone and, and stuff like that. It's uh, they used the, the, the stones or that uh, were existing. They didn't cut much. That's also like a one, not a scandal, but something that uh, with the Egyptian side, with the pyramid, yeah, uh, they brought uh, the knowledge of mathematics with them from the author, like this uh, advanced, uh-huh. uh, so they could uh, use this, you know, the, the knowledge of P and and all this kind of uh, uh, circular mathematics that are uh, interesting. Mat Maat is a was a a god in Egypt. Mat means food. It means what? Food. Food? <laughs> yeah. It, it, uh, mathematics were used uh, in food a lot. Oh. It's a female thing, this mate. It has to do with uh, the original thing with mathematics is to know how long you should uh, make the te. Mate, matik. Oh. It has to do with time and te. And mama. Is doing the tea. <laughs> it's so fucking simple. It boils down to. <laughs> it might seem simple to you, to me. Like I didn't get none of that, dude. <laughs> Mathematik. It's a, it's a a nu na ki. It's a very interesting word in Swedish, or it becomes like a. Also, nu is now. It's something yeah. that you want to haste. In my eyes, a nu na ki. Na is knowledge and key is a key. So the key to the knowledge. Ah. But so all new na key. So also now the key to knowledge. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, we'll end it on that note. Uh, 
we have already gone about 15 minutes over. Um, Shouldn't also for those of you that have been listening, Roman had a bounce out about 10 minutes into the conversation. So that's why you just heard me and Yake today. Yeah. And, uh, but that's fine. Um, is there anything you want to tell the people? Say malot. Malot? Say malot. Swim that? carefully. Swim carefully. That's that's pretty good advice. Or sw- swim cool. Or, or tread lightly. Yeah, exactly. Say malot yeah. <laughs> in Swedish. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Okay. Well, uh, thanks for uh, joining me today and having a conversation. I hey, appreciate awesome. it. See and, you next uh, time, man. We'll, yeah, see you next time. We will talk again soon. Uh, and for everybody else out there, wake the fuck up. Wake up. Simulation. I'm not sure.